Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It is one minute after seven. You're listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Now, telephone number this hour is 0800 150 811. That's 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. Uh, we're going to be doing this show Tuesday and Wednesday over the next three weeks. I do want to try and get into the habit of trying to garner some talk back between seven and eight. Uh, Some wonderful uh, interviews, opinion, throughout the day here on SENZ. Hopefully some of it's grabbed you. You're sitting there thinking, I wouldn't mind having my say on that. I agree or I disagree. Well, I want to give you that opportunity between seven and eight. You might not agree with everything I say, but I am offering you an invitation. So if you want to send me in texts and abuse me, no problem with that because I've done my job. I've got you engaged. But please jump on, either agree with me, disagree with me. Let's have the discussion. Talkback is a better product when you jump on the phones. That telephone number 0800 150 Strange weekend of sport. Not quite sure where I sit. Disappointed or happy? Outstanding achievement from Lydia Ko. Winning this morning. Two million dollars. The biggest prize ever offered in women's golf. Her third trophy of the year. 19 wins now on the LPGA and just 25 years of age. There was a point where Lydia Ko was well and truly in the wilderness where you felt that possibly in the background maybe her parents were putting too much pressure on her, having too much to say in regards to the performance side of it, constantly switching caddies, constantly changing coaches. And you wondered whether she'd ever reach that form that she reached when she was just 16 and 17. 
Last year, she showed signs that she would. And then this year, she has definitely transferred that teenage form now well and truly into the senior ranks. Has the two major championships and like to think that she can add to that. The fact that there is $2 million up for prize money suggests that this is a truly global sport and therefore something that we should be recognising and honouring at the highest level. You've only got to travel around the world and have a look at the number of golf courses there are in every country, how many golf shops sit in airports, uh, particularly on the men's side. Some of the biggest stars in the world are golfers and now it's happening on the women's side. And that CME uh, Group Tour Championship, remarkable victory for her. Compelling television, the back nine. So well done to Lydia Ko. Now, people that play golf out there, I'd like you to try and put this in context for me. I have an understanding of how big this is, but people who are just golf aficionados, jump on, tell us, and tell those that maybe aren't that close to golf why this is such a big achievement for Lydia Ko. 0800-150-811. Does she deserve to also be now in the Halberg or the Women's Sportsman of the Year discussion based on that? Equally too, just want to acknowledge Joelle King, our women's squash player, for winning another tournament, this time the Singapore Open. She won two Commonwealth Games gold medals earlier in the year. Tough sport. We've got Paul Cole on the men's side. And we've got Joelle King. Just want to acknowledge Joelle. I know how brutal that sport is aerobically. I know how big that sport is as well. And I think sometimes their achievements are not fully recognised here, uh, maybe due to a lack of media coverage or just maybe due to yeah a little bit of ignorance perhaps. But well done as well to Joelle King. Okay, uh, we also need to recognise the winners at the... International Rugby Awards. Hard to believe still, isn't it, that still no room in the men's side for Artie Sevilla, best rugby player in the world, but he wasn't even nominated for Rugby Player of the Year. And I sort of put this down to the Northern Hemisphere's bias. The All Blacks are down. Let's put the boot in. Forget being rational, let's just punish them because we're jealous of their success and rugby supremacy exists in the North. That sort of perception I have, I'm probably miles off it, but there didn't seem to be a lot of really good due diligence done or explanation on why Artie Sevier was not nominated. However, congratulations to Ruby Tui for picking up the Breakthrough Player of the Year award. Ruahi Demont took out the Women's 15s Player of the Year, so the best female rugby player in the world this year, according to World Rugby, and Wayne Smith was named Coach of the Year. So well done to that Women's World Cup winning rugby team. I do just want to acknowledge that. Uh, Wayne Smith, without doubt, the best rugby coach in the world. Everyone's going to jump up and down and suggest that he gets knighted. I've got no problem if he's knighted, as long as we go back posthumously and knight the likes of Duncan Lang, who coached Daniel Loder. Go and knight Arch Jelly, who coached John Walker. Go back and knight Stephen Kearney for the Kiwis winning the Rugby League World Cup back in 2008. And let's just make sure that we're consistent. 
any issues with the International Rugby Awards. Love you to just get on the phone and acknowledge the recipients on the women's side. 0800 150 811. Okay, uh, let's look at the negatives. Let's look at the negatives. Uh, embarrassing performance from the Kiwi Ferns, the Women's Rugby League World Cup team. Dreadful display in that Rugby World Cup final. They didn't look fit. They looked gassed. Australia absolutely smashed them. They missed 59 tackles. 59 tackles. Not good enough. On one hand, we've got a media here trying to promote this women's rugby league team on par with the men's, rushing this forward in this political environment. All very well, but you've got to live up to it. And therefore, I'm not afraid to criticise that team tonight. You're going to live by the sword, you die by the sword. Pretty embarrassing, pretty damn average performance from our Kiwi Ferns, from our women's rugby league team. Not good enough. Now, admittedly, it's a sport that's in its infancy and it's only going to get better. And these players are basically pioneers and hopefully, off the back of some of the World Cup results and the exposure, it's going to inspire the next generation. We're going to get greater depth and therefore we are going to eventually get parity with the Australian team. But I don't think this Women's Rugby League World Cup was a great advert for Women's Rugby League. Just not enough depth, just not enough quality, a little bit too manufactured, too many just enormous score lines in favour of one team, predominantly Australia, and also when New Zealand did play. I read an article by Chris Ratu in the New Zealand Herald today, and I think he sums it up, that Women's Rugby League... The focal point, the pinnacle at the moment should be state of origin for the women. That should be the event they put up in lights. Let the sport organically grow a little bit more before we start getting overly excited about the Women's Rugby League World Cup. However, what I do want to say here, I'd like to get your thoughts again. 0800 150 really disappointed in our media. Our media didn't give this Kiwi Ferns rugby league team anywhere near the same coverage they gave our women's rugby team. We've got a media here who use women's rugby at times to politicise about the lack of equality between men's and women's sport. They use this World Cup to talk about bringing that equity and that equality. Yet the very same media, I think, prejudiced rugby league in favour of rugby. Why was the women's rugby league team any lesser than the women's rugby team right through to the final? Why didn't they get the same coverage? I'll tell you, I'll give you my opinion on this because I think there is a prejudice against blue-collar sports in this country. Take it back to colonial, colonialism, whatever you want to call it. But there is a prejudice. Has there ever been a softball player knighted? 
Has there ever been a rugby league player other than Graham Lowe knighted? Where was the hysteria around that women's rugby league team? Why did the women's rugby team get all the media coverage? If you're going to preach equality and equity, make sure you're consistent. Brick bat goes to the New Zealand sports media. 0800 150 811. Your thoughts on that Kiwi rugby league team performance? Not good enough. Not fit enough. And a major letdown. Like to get your thoughts, jump on the phone. Feel free to give me a call. Right, let's talk about the rugby over the weekend. And let's talk about the All Black season. Eight wins, four losses, one draw. Seven games in a row now unbeaten. But let's be honest, the draw may as well have been a loss against England. The test, 39-37, was it, against the Wallabies due to the refereeing of Reynard. It was basically a lost test. I'll get on to Reynard shortly, the French referee, because he should be banished from the game, to be perfectly honest. But when you look back at this all-black season, not good enough. No one has confidence in Ian Foster. No one feels confident. And I still struggle with the absolute arrogance of Foster saying that he's pretty happy with where this team's at. And why it annoys me, and you would have heard me constantly say this on this radio station, I don't like all-black coaches basically implying, judge me on the World Cup. No, the All Blacks win every test. Worry about the next test. It's not okay to lose, Mr. Foster. You somehow think it is. If you think you've done a good job this year, you are incredibly arrogant in my opinion. This team, under Foster, New Zealand Rugby, All Blacks under Foster, hasn't been good enough. In my opinion, has bastardised the reputation and the aura of the All Blacks. Meanwhile, on the other hand, we've got a whole lot of top coaches that we don't seem interested in trying to retain here in New Zealand. We have seen Jamie Joseph and what he's done in Japan. Tony Brown. England are now circling. Scott Robertson. We've let a lot of very good coaches go. Because New Zealand rugby believe that it's better to put resource into retaining all blacks rather than keeping our IP in this country. It's not a good look when arguably... England are looking at getting Scott Robertson and we sit here and continue with Ian Foster. Does anybody honestly believe that Ian Foster's done a good job this year? Please jump on the phone. Tell me, tell me why. Do you feel confident heading into next year's Rugby World Cup? Do you honestly believe this all-black team has the ability to beat Ireland or South Africa in a quarterfinal, France and England or um, some of those other teams I've mentioned? Three tests in a row in a World Cup. Have you seen enough of this all-black team this year? How do you rate the season? 0800 Text us here on double eight double three. I give the season a three. 
I'm not even going to give it a pass, Mark. You do not lose a series to Ireland at home. You do not drop tests to Argentina. And you do not basically lose a test to a very average Australian team. And while officially we won it by two tests and I think we all know that we probably lost that second test. Richie Mawanga, and I'm going to go with Chris Ratto on this. Good article Chris has written. Actually, we must be on the same wavelength. Good man, Chris. But Richie Mawanga, he just hasn't kicked on, has he? Not a great first 5-8. And Bowden Barrett, well, he's been shifted around so much, he doesn't know whether he's coming or going, but Barrett doesn't know how to remember game plan. He was awful on the weekend as well. So the first time in a long time, I actually think we're really short in the position of first 5-8. I'd like to have see Stephen Perifetta being given more opportunity, but they clearly don't have faith in him. But I'm not sure what weaknesses they see in Stephen Perifetta that they don't see in Richie Mawanga or Bowden Barrett, all three of them. If you think Perifetta's got deficiencies and you don't think that Mawanga and Barrett do, then you're clearly not looking at the game the way the fans do. 0800-150-811. How do you rate this all-black season? Uh, Matthew Reynard, the French referee. Or Mathieu Reynard. Awful. Every time that guy is involved in an international, you spend the next 48 hours talking about the damn referee. Pedantic. Out of his depth. Kills a game. You can't adjust to a referee like that. I mean, the situation where we had Caleb Clark kicking, but we had Rico Awani penalised for being in front of the kicker, even though he never got his hands on the ball and the ball actually went out being penalised. I mean, how does that work? Dreadful referee. As bad as the two that were out here in 2017 for the British and Irish Lions. We cannot have a World Cup where it's refereeing like that decides it. It's going to kill the game. It's killing the game. The referee will be, just, the World Cup, Rugby World Cup next year will be decided by red cards for high tackles with zero intent in them and clowns like Reynard and their interpretation of the rules and their pedantic refereeing which will vary from week to week because there's no consistency in the way they do things he's not the reason the All Blacks drew 25-all with England the reason the All Blacks drew 25-all with England was Ian Foster but he didn't help he killed the spectacle Mind you, rugby is open to interpretation and there are just far too many rules. So number of issues, number of points there. Please, somebody kick this bad boy off. Give me your thoughts. Success of Co, the success of our women at the World Rugby Awards, the disappointment of the Kiwi Ferns 
an embarrassing performance from our women's Kiwi Rugby League team. And we can say that. You want equality, you want equity, you've got to take the good with the bad. I'd say exactly the same thing around the Warriors, exactly the same thing around the Kiwis, or any New Zealand team wearing black that was that disappointing. Not good enough. Not fit enough. Number of rugby issues. And I still have a cricket one to come. 0800 150811. It is 24 minutes after 7. 0800 150811. Lines are open. Like to try and get some talk back between now and 8 o'clock. A few things here to chat. Uh, issues. Big one is how do you rate that all black season now that it is finished? I've given it a 3 out of 10 and I think I'm being generous. Not good enough. Not good enough. You do not lose tests at home to Argentina. You do not lose a test series at home to Ireland, particularly when you lost test matches to France and Ireland last year and you've had a lot of time to think about it. 25 all draw against England. Marginal performance against Scotland. Very good performance against Wales. Probably should have lost a test against the Wallabies if it wasn't for Machu Reynard and that ridiculous penalty that was awarded. Are you feeling confident heading into next year's Rugby World Cup? And why is it that we place so much emphasis on the World Cup so far out? We cannot fall into that trap of just reducing rugby to once every four years and accepting losing in the name of trying to get the World Cup right. It's taking all your chips, putting all your eggs in one basket. Now, we lose this Rugby World Cup next year, which I think we will. I can't see us winning three big, big tests in a row with this team, particularly with a couple of injuries to front rowers, etc. Then we then have to wait another four years, which will mean if we did win the next Rugby World Cup in 2027, it would be 12 years, 12 years since we last held it. And under the Ian Foster mentality, we'd go from an 80% winning record, 82% winning record, to be suddenly going, oh, it's okay to win 60% as long as we, you know, as long as we're showing some progress. I mean, it's just utter crap, isn't it? Uh, the women's rugby league team, really disappointing. I've got some statistics here that I just want to run through for you. So 54-4 was the score. Um, what do they call themselves? The Jillaroos, 57% of possession. Kiwi Ferns, 43%. Completion rate for the Kiwi Ferns is very good, 82% versus the Jillaroos, 75%. But you've got to be careful on that. Clearly, not having a completion rate. Using the ball, scoring tries might be part of the reason why that completion rate is not quite as high. Jillaroos. Okay, line breaks. 11, New Zealand 2. Tackle breaks. Australia 59. We missed 58 tackles, by the way. We only had 18 tackle breaks. Average set distance, 66 metres for the Jillaroos. 38 metres for the women's league team. Passing and offloads, seven for Australia, three for New Zealand. One area where we were good, kicking metres, 408 metres versus Australia's 215. They didn't need to kick, did they? Tackles made, New Zealand 312, Australia 271. Missed tackles, 59 for us, 18 for them. Ineffective tackles, nine for us, six for them. Not good enough. Not good enough at all. 
need to go and take a long, hard look at themselves. Yes, it's a game that's in its infancy. Yes, it's perhaps not that much depth in Women's Rugby League just yet. However, they've just been given a World Cup. They've just been given the media. We've just been told, hey, this is on par with the men's. No problem with any of that, but you've got to take the criticism too. And that performance reminded me of the Warriors, and we've had a field down the Warriors over the last 12 months, haven't we? 0800-150-811 is the number. Uh, we got absolutely demolished last night in a T20 game. We got the one day starting. We got another one tomorrow night. We got the one day starting against India on Friday. Um, Kane Williamson, I think it's time that he steps down from the white ball. I think Gary Stead, the coach, probably needs to go. There needs to be a review of New Zealand cricket. The results just haven't been good enough. I mean, Kane Williams scored 50 of 48 balls. I mean, a pretty selfish innings when you're chasing 190. Finn Allen, well, he's one-dimensional. He's living off one inning against Australia. He hasn't done anything since. Quality in Devon Conway. Quality in Glenn Phillips. Can't argue Daryl Mitchell. Jimmy Neesham seems to be a little bit out of sorts. And we don't seem to have a lot of depth or options when it comes to our bowling attack. It seems very much Lockie Ferguson, Tim Southey, Ish Sodi. Adam Milne didn't offer much. Ferguson was disappointing. Why are we not critiquing this New Zealand cricket team. Why are we become apathetic? Do we no longer care or, or have we never been good enough? We just don't have that legacy. We just There's no brand around New Zealand cricket so we don't have an expectation. Is the fact that cricket is no longer on mainstream television or no longer on Sky and therefore it's lost a large part of its audience and people have got used to not watching it. I've got to say, Spark do a great job. Brilliant coverage. Do encourage people to get it. Formula One, track and field, great price point too. Big fan of Spark. But putting that to one side, you know, people still aren't prepared to necessarily sign up to two online platforms, are they? And this is what New Zealand Cricket forgot. They took the money, not realising, though, that there was some intangible value they were going to lose and that was audience habits and I think the game is really struggling also T20 cricket how significant is it does it have any meaning does it leave a legacy it doesn't does it and so when you lose you're not that disappointed when you win yep great you celebrate it but you're not having a ticker tape parade the next day and I'm just not sure where cricket sits at the moment are the one days going to have any more interest probably got a bit more credibility because you need a team to perform to win a one-day T20 cricket, you need one or two players. But I do just think that Williamson needs to just play test cricket, get out of the shorter-form games. He hasn't been in great form over the last 18 months, and I think Gary Stead is a big fan now of Williamson, where I think initially maybe there was a bit of, you know, he tended to be faithing Latham, didn't he? The sort of Canterbury Mafia, I've heard. but something needs to change. There's no creativity. There's no edge. It's all too predictable, isn't it? The Black Caps. Dreadful name, by the way. The Black Caps just sounds tacky. Sounds like sort of a brand you'd find in 
some cheap warehouse somewhere. You know, you've got the baggy greens for Australia that tends to just have an aura about it, a little bit like the All Blacks. Well, All Blacks up until Ian Foster became coach anyway. 0800-150-811 is the number. Uh, ben Francis, good evening. Welcome. How are you? Good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, well, thank you. That's good to hear. Yeah, I've got to say, mate, I'm going to put my hand up and say that the last three All Black tests, for the first time in my life in the Northern Hemisphere, I haven't got up to watch them. I've watched them delayed. Oh, wow. Yep. And I'm not the only one that's starting to do that, and that's disappointing. And I've just lost faith in the All Blacks. I don't like rest and rotation. I don't like the best All Black teams not being put out. I don't like the fact that the All Blacks don't place value on them and it's all about the World Cup. So why should I get up early to watch a group of players, not the players so much, but to watch a team led by a coach who, in my opinion, is so damn arrogant that it's all going to be okay and bear with me mentality. And I'm sorry, that's not the all-black way. Well, if you kind of break down this tour, they beat Japan, which you would expect. They beat... Just. Just. They they beat a Wales side who was in absolute dire straits. I don't know if you saw the result on the weekend, but they lost to Georgia. So that's how bad things are in Wales at the moment. If it hadn't been for a yellow card, Scotland were on top of the All Blacks and the yellow card really changed momentum like it did against England. When that yellow card happened to Bowdoin Barrett, that momentum really swung. So that result could have been different as well. But to finish off your year when you should know this is the last 10 minutes here, we have to finish with a bang, it was quite disappointing. I had Ian Jones on the rugby run say yesterday he was involved, I think, 97 when England drew against the All Blacks. They came back from behind to win it uh, in London. 90, was it 93 they drew? They might have drawn again in 97 and the English went down the field yeah. and did so a bit he, of a standing ovation. Whether it was himself. 93 or 97, he said he was part of that test and he said when he reflects on it now, there was probably that little bit of complacency in the All, All Blacks and he reckons that this current group will probably go back and reflect on that. But then that comes back to what you've been saying. That's not really the All Black way of switching off. The All Blacks yeah, are yeah, yeah, but the thing ruthless. is, mate, we've had so many disappointments this year. We've had so many opportunities for this damn All Black team to reflect. I agree. But but we're not reflecting and we're not making the changes and we're not being consistent. But how can you have consistency when you're constantly changing the team? Can someone please tell me how resting players in Super Rugby and resting players in certain tests has benefited this all-black team when you look at our win-loss ratio, when you look at the way we play? There is no science in it whatsoever. It is PowerPoint presentation BS. It's dumb, dumb, dumb. It doesn't work for the All Blacks, and it doesn't help the game in this country. Look at a guy like Papalihi. Finally, we give him some game time, and we start to see how good he is. I know we'll stick with Sam Kane. Through thick and thin, we'll stick with Sam, and we'll give Papalihi just a little bit of work here and there. The guy's magnificent. Magnificent. Well, you'd probably say that he was the probably the player which took the opportunity the most on this whole Northern Tour. You could probably even argue that he's probably surpassed yeah, Sam Kane. What a, but what I want to know, and, and look, I, I want you, Ben, maybe tomorrow the next couple of days, I want you to put a request in for Mark Robertson, okay? We sit here and we bag the guy and we bag New Zealand rugby. Let's put the opportunity for him to come on. I guarantee he says no. You know, guarantee he says no. But then we've at least asked for the opportunity. Because I want to know what they're doing to keep Razor in this country. What they're trying to do to keep some of our other top coaches in this country. 
because it just seems to me Steve Hansen really wasn't interested because it was all about him. And now it's all about Ian Foster. And I'm sure that in the future we're going to anoint the next coach out of this current group because that's the way it goes. Mind you, Foster will get knighted as well. Services to rugby, of course. Oh, totally. I didn't know you could get awards for killing rugby. I mean, is that a service? Service to the Chiefs? Yeah. 0800 150811 is the number. Jump on the phones, guys. Good text coming in, rolling in. I like this one. Foster needs to go. We should have lost a lot more than we won. Three out of ten at best. 100% right, Mark. Good to have somebody calling it as they see it. I get sick of All Blacks being on radio stations, particularly the current crop. They never say anything. They're just cheerleaders. Nice to have a breath of fresh air. Appreciate the texts that have come in. 0800. 150811. Richie Mawanga. Is he the real deal? You'd have to start the question. There are major frailties there. But who else have we got? Do you think we can win a Rugby World Cup? Three big tests in a row. Have you seen enough this year? No. Do we have the ability to learn from the weekend? Clearly not. We couldn't learn off the back of the Argentina loss. We couldn't learn off basically a loss to what was the Wallabies. Even though we didn't officially lose, we did lose. Couldn't lose. Couldn't learn off the back of losses last year against Ireland and France. We lost a test series to Ireland this year. Why is Ian Foster happy, happy with where this team's at? 0800 And um, yeah, jump on the phone, man. Let's have a crack about this women's rugby league team. A dreadful performance over the weekend. Dreadful. Awful. Equally, celebrate Lydia Cope. 19th LPGA win. Picked up $2 million, the largest prize pool in women's golf history. And I think she was $600, I read, $600 out from winning the most prize money in a single year by a women's player. Uh, she's just 19, 19th LPGA title. It's going to be eligible for the Women's Golf Hall of Fame. Remarkable. I didn't know she whether she'd be able to come back from that period of her life, really over the last five or six years, where you felt that maybe her parents were having too much say. Um, too many coaching changes, too many caddy changes. But she has bounced back. 25, two majors, probably won a lot more. Really starting to get into the zone. Getting married, and I wonder whether that's also just that little bit of life balance that perhaps she needed, just breaking away perhaps from mum and dad. I might be a bit harsh there, but you know, I have had golf experts on previous shows, on previous radio stations that very much implied that perhaps there's the parents in the background. But we will um, take a break and then we'll come back. Uh, we've got Graeme phoning through, so we'll come back and have a chat to Graeme. Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. It is 17 minutes away from 8 o'clock. 0800 150 is the number. Coming up after 8 o'clock to Garth Galloway in the programme, we will look back on that performance of the Black Caps last night in that T20 against India. Uh, third T20 coming up tomorrow night. Then we move into the ODI series. Uh, Gary Stead, Kane Williamson. Time for Williamson to step down from uh, white ball cricket and maybe Gary Stead to move on. Let's bring somebody in with a bit of X Factor. Let's try and change it up. Let's mix it up. Let's play an exciting form of cricket. Um, let's try to somehow recapture a cricketing audience. Uh, there just doesn't appear to be a lot of meaning to a lot of these games now, and that's certainly not going to be helped if you just play sort of boring, predictable cricket. We'll catch up with Dale Budge too. We will review a very good series by the Auckland Tuatara. Just beat the 
Canberra Cavalry in Canberra in the Australian Baseball League winning that series three games to one, which means they come home for their first home series this week against Sydney with a 500 record, a 50-50 record, which is excellent. 1-4, loss 4, pretty good way to start the season when you're playing away to start with. Sydney this week, looking forward to that first game Friday night. Graham, good evening. G'day Mark, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, I thought of you yesterday when the All Blacks rose. I said to your producer, yeah, um, yeah, no, I agree with uh, you know a lot of what you said, disagree with some. Um, obviously, yeah, I mean, I know there's a few topics you want to talk about, but I'll just leave it to the All Blacks, because um, that's probably the one I'm most interested in. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, the, the tour, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a the rock under the beach towel I think a lot of people are using, but I think it's a bit more than that. What, the same, know, the same one as last summer? Yeah, the same, well, it was even worse last year, but that's, that's only because they were playing against, you know, Ireland and France, who we know yeah. um, are actually better than the teams we've just played, you know, all due respect to... Um, England, um, who are, who have shown they're a good side, but we know they're not um, like the French are the best over there at the moment. Even if they have scraped through, they're unbeaten, and that's what mm. that's what counts mm. is winning. And you know, with Ian Foster, I mean, this this rather strange show goes on. You know, um, Schmidt and Ryan have made a difference. Um, everybody's saying that in unison, but you know. Um, you know, I think they possibly did try to get rid of Foster, you know, midway through the season, but I think a lot's gone on. You were talking about getting Mark Robinson on. I, I doubt very much. I mean, it'd be great if he did. Um, but, yeah, I just, yeah, there's a lot of more questions than answers, really. I still, people are saying that the 22, that they got to, well, I know you want to, want the, well, they, they're sort of keeping with the, the bedrock of the team, but I think there's, you know, I think I'd like to see Popper Lee, for instance, stay there at number seven, you know. Um, mm. But, the chances are Sam Kane will come back, you know. Yeah, but, but yeah, but you know, look, if you've got Popolihi and you can get Ethan Blackadder and you've got Artie Sevilla, uh, yeah, yeah. Th- then you start to actually, you start to have a little bit more confidence in your loose forward trio, don't you? Every time Sam exactly. Kane's on the field, you just don't have confidence. Well, no, no, I mean, yeah, and that's, yeah, Ethan Blackadder, I think, you know, even outside of the Crusaders region, a lot of people were talking about him coming back and, yeah, he he played very very well last year for the All Blacks in his first season, you know, and you know he's been a big loss, um, you know, on this this side of things. So I'm looking forward to him being back for the Crusaders, but you know, Popper Lee, but this whole loose forward trio. I mean, Artie's a number seven, but he's now turned himself into a um, world class number eight, and it just shows you what a great, you know, and he does the, the fact he's not wasn't nominated is just bizarre, but you know the. <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, Graham, I want to ask think. you about Mawanga because there's no doubt about his ability to super rugby level, but I'm sorry, I'm just not convinced at all black level at the moment. Yeah, no, I know. Well, agree to disagree. Um, I personally think, yeah, I think that he's mucked around with that position. I, I personally don't, even though he's got 100 tests, Bodie, I don't think he's um, really ever, he, you know, he was handed that position again this year and that, and that failed. And then Richie, I think, you know, in their best test, he's played very, very well, you know, and, you know, I think he should be the number 10 going into the World Cup. Oh, look, year, he, he, he will be the number 10, but I'm just not sure that I'm going to put him alongside no. the likes of the Foxes. I'm not going to put him in there alongside of the likes of the Dan Carters um, and, and, you know, the great 10s that have worn the All Black jersey. Well, 
Yeah, I think, yeah, like, well, yeah, I know Andrew Mertens is another one. Oh, Mertens goes down as a great, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, in my opinion, yeah, I think he gets... Oh, no, he, he goes down. Look, I even put, he, you he, know... People talk about Carter here, but, you know, like, Mertens actually yeah, did more but, for the Crusaders, but that's but Carter and McCaw sort of get talked about all the time ad nauseum. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, I, I just think Richie, you know, if he'd had Scott... I mean, I'd really believe if he had Scott Robertson as coach, he would have got... Um, more out of him than what, you know, I think on that tour last year when he went back from his paternity leave, he got dropped after that. I think there's been, personally, I think he's been undermined. But, you know, I still think he, you know, I think he will be the number 10. But with, and he should be, but Perifeta, I do think, has been treated absolutely shabbily. I'm not just saying that to agree with you. I think he should have... um, well, you know, we, 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 we probably, don't, I mean, why did he? Why do they keep playing him at fullback yeah, when he when he's the first five? I mean, they keep pushing him back there and giving him ten minutes, and even got you got fifty seconds here in Christchurch. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Well, well I mean, he's played bugger all rugby since June eighteenth this year. It's appalling. And like I say, I give him an opportunity, see what he can do. You know, this, they, well, they, 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 but they use that rationale for so many other players. Oh, no, we've got to give them an opportunity. We've got to see what they can do. We've got to build depth. Well, OK, so if that is your philosophy and that's how you're justifying some selections, we'll be, you know, be consistent and, and give them a go based on the same premise. Oh, I agree. No, I mean, you know, they had that New Zealand A tour and, you know, ironically, some of the players that went on that played more rugby than the ones that became confusing in the end. And who was actually, you know... Poor, their luckless oh, TJ Perinara, you know, he's now done as Achilles tendon. I feel very sorry for him. Um, you know, he's worked hard to get back in the All Blacks. You know, he was originally in the New Zealand 18. Yeah. And then, you know, you could actually have a pub quiz about yeah. that. But, I mean, yeah, it's very messy. I yeah. mean, they're, they're hedging their bets on different positions. And some players, are, you know, are not going to get enough rugby. And Perifeta fits into that. Um, you know, you've got to give, you've got to cast the net wide. You know, and, and the World Cup is just, this whole thing where what they're going to do probably to Super Rugby, what they do every year, oh. will be worse next year. Oh, will oh, we'll oh, be just yeah. ridiculous. Oh, look, the whole, game, the whole game's a shamble. Hey, look, Graham, I do just have to move on. But as always, mate, do appreciate it. Thank you. And have no problem agreeing to disagree when it comes to Stephen Perifeta. I wonder how I've suggested this. Mark Robertson, I sit down with you one-on-one for an hour, live on Sky Sport. Let's go for it. Okay? No fear, no favour. No soft questions. We hit it all. We hit club rugby. We hit coach retention. We hit the Players Association. We talk about the Ian Foster. Let's just make it open. Why not? It's not North Korea. It's our game. You are simply custodians. Do you think it would ever happen? No. No. Because the Kremlin, which is New Zealand rugby, are about as transparent as Putin. Nine and a half minutes away from eight. Okay, still coming up to, and apologies, we've sort of banked the ads a little bit towards the end of the hour. I don't like to do that. Um, but do, in saying that, uh, if you do hear a particular product being advertised here on SENZ and that particular brand or product ends up becoming part of a possible purchasing decision in the future, please go with those brands you do hear on the station. It keeps us going. Uh, we've just had a couple of callers phone in. Funny how they get right towards the end of the hour. We've asked them to phone back a little bit after eight. But I do want to encourage people between seven and eight, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of the next three weeks, we are going to be doing more of a talk back. So settle in. Opportunity to have your say. Opportunity for you to contribute. Okay? Interesting that um, I, I just making this observation. Earlier this year when there was a lot of pressure and heat on New Zealand rugby, Mark Robertson decided suddenly to go over to the UK and hang out with the Sevens team. 
Women's Rugby World Cup, he ended up winning at Eden Park, and he's here in New Zealand in a ticker-take parade type scenario, making sure that he's seen, making sure the cameras are flashing. This is what I don't like about New Zealand rugby. It's starting to look like a government full of spin, run by spin doctors trying to control the message. Not good enough. It is one minute after eight. You are listening to SENZ. Mark Watson with you. We'll open the lines a little bit later. Telephone number 0800 150 811. You can text us here on 8833. Interesting to see that in Wellington tonight, uh, arguably, I think he's the world's best orator at the moment, Dr. Jordan Peterson in town. If you get a chance to listen, get on YouTube, watch Jordan Peterson, have a listen. Really, really bright guy, brings some common sense to a really dangerous ideology that is sort of starting to sweep across New Zealand with through this sort of uh, group identity politics. Anyway, just thought I'd mention that. Love the guy, wonderful orator. Um, a lot of what he says is actually backed up uh, with clinical research as well. So it's um, based on studies. It's not just one man's opinion. Anyway, I am digressing. Speaking of, speaking of wonderful orators, we've got one of our, I think arguably one of our best cricket commentators now joining us on the programme, Garth Galloway. Garth, good evening. Welcome. G'day. Uh, hi, Mark. Thank you. Um, interesting to hear you digress in that way. That's uh, very interesting indeed. I might go and have a listen. Yeah, no, very, very bright guy. Brings just a lot of um, really good logic to a lot of issues that, we've, that we're made to believe are quite simplistic. And in fact, there's a little bit more yep. to them. So, yeah, no, no. Anyway, uh, look... Um, Absolutely hammered last night in the second T20 against India. We ended up losing by 65 runs. Is it time now for Kane Williamson to stop playing white ball cricket? I mean, 50 runs off 48 balls. He's been in terrible form over the last 12 months. But equally as captain, mate, there is nothing original about what he does. Um, There's no risk. It's all just a little bit too predictable. Well, we've talked about this before. And and in the last time we spoke uh, before this series, I was saying to you, I thought that, you know, Williamson had a, a reasonable World Cup, a good World Cup, really, in the circumstances. Um, he, you know, he, he's actually doing about what he always does in T20 cricket. So, you know, his career average, I think, is around 120, his strike rate, uh, and his average is pretty good. So he's doing, to me, he, he's completely predictable in everything that he does, uh, almost robotic. Um and uh, you've got to find a very good player to replace someone with his skills and talent. You know, again, I don't really think he's the problem. Um, he's coming in far too early. In the last two games against uh, uh, Pakistan in the semi-final and in that game against India, he's in in the first over. So he's having to adjust his game and work out where he, you know, what he's going to do now. New Zealand, I think if they're going to back Allen and they're going to keep doing it and saying to him, right, you can just do what you like, which seems to be what they're doing, and it's not going to work all the time. In fact, it's not working at all. But if they're going to do it, then I think you've got to say to Williamson, all right, uh, now, and this is different to what I said to you the other day, you've got to get out there and hit the ball a bit harder and, and we need more from you. If, if you're on a side that's going to back Allen and he's going to fail... Uh, then you need to get out there and score your runs a bit faster. But I think it's—I I, I do think that's—you um, know—that's a difficult thing because Williamson's natural T20 
tendency as a captain will be to build the side and, and make sure that you're not two down for 10. And I think that's a reasonable thing. It, to it, me, the problem is in the opening partnership. Okay, what about the, no- what, what about the novel idea of our coaches actually coaching and going to Finn Allen and saying, Finn, this is not always the way. It's not always about just looking to, you know, take the ball on like Brendan McCullum. McCullum was an exceptional talent, the exception to the rule. Where's the coaching going on here with Finn Allen? Because he just seems so damn one-dimensional, and more often than not, yep. he's going to fail with his approach. Well, I said to you the other day, there's a reason that there aren't many players you know, striking at 180 in, uh, in T20 cricket, and Allen was, and everybody got very, very excited about it. But the, the issue that that ignored was the quality of the opposition. He's played 24 matches now. His average is going down. He's now down to 23.5. His strike rate's still at 160. But but listen to this. Of his 24 matches, he's played eight against Bangladesh, four against Ireland, two against Scotland, two against the Netherlands. You know, that, that for me, uh, you know, so I just ignore the average of 23.5 and the strike rate against those sides because I don't think it really matters. And then we look at the games where he's played against, uh, you know, Australia, England, and so on. He's averaging 18.75, and that includes his 42 against Australia and 62 against Pakistan. So eight innings, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't done a lot uh, except for the 42 and the, uh, 42 and the 62. So, you know, I, I don't know what they're saying to him. Um, he, you know, his shot the other day was another shocker. His performance against Pakistan in the semi-final was dreadful uh, because you'll recall then the first ball he smashed down the ground in the most beautiful fashion. He, was, he then got a review, LBW, and won that and then got out the same way the very next ball. So, you know, we're not seeing... Uh, I just... I, I, I think it's brainless. I said it to you the other day. I think New Zealand cricket have to say, and they have put all the eggs in Allen's basket, and they've said that publicly because they've dropped Guptill. And I tell you, if you're in Martin Guptill's shoes now, you might look on and think, crikey, it's tough watching this. Mm, Okay, behind Finn Allen and Martin Guptill, who have we got? Well, not much, and that's that's the other issue. Um, So... You know, you, you look at, I think if you look at the side and, and who you're picking, you're always going to pick, uh, I mean, Conway is exceptional and, and his, you have to just celebrate what he's doing. Again, I, I would pick Williamson, but he's got to change his game if they're going to back Allen and Allen's going to get out early. Phillips, Mitchell, excellent. How many world-class batsmen these days play across all three forms of the game? I mean, I would have thought T20 cricket, now that it's been established for some time, is such a specialist game that it requires almost specialist players, a little bit like Rugby Sevens has become. Well, you know, you look at a player like Stokes uh, can do it. Coley has done it for years. Williamson's been pretty successful, really. I mean, a very successful test cricketer, a very good one-day cricketer. And, and a better than average T20 player in my view, but it's not working with them at three and with the, the batsman getting out early. Um, but maybe, as I said to you, he's got to he's got to hit the, he's got to go earlier if they lose a wicket earlier, and he's going to have to trust Phillips and Mitchell. And I think we're going to have to get a lot more out mm. of Nisham as well, mm. uh, who hasn't really been given the opportunities with bat or ball, but but is not a bad player. Um, you know, I, I think the issue for me is around the captaincy. But when you when you talk about uh, does Williamson stand down as captain, and my view is he should, 
then you've got to look at who's going to come in and take over the captaincy. So, you know, mm. it's, all, it's all very well saying someone should go in terms of being captain. And, and I mean, I think the player for me who I, I would have as captain at the moment, and it would be short-term, is Salvi. Because uh, I think he, he is adventurous. He's courageous. He would bring a new edge to it. And I think he's a mm. thoroughly intelligent cricketer. When are we going to do an internal review? When are we going to review New Zealand cricket over the last two years from a performance point of view? Um, I mean, I think Gary Stead, I think he's too conservative. I think there's a lot of discussion out there that, you know, you look around the world, you look at what McCullum's done with England, um, that again, if we're to move forward, we've got to have someone with perhaps just a little bit more vision. I wonder whether Gavin Larson's maybe been a selector for too long. There was an opportunity with Bruce Edgar. He quit pretty quickly. He had, had a bit of a guts fall, didn't like the way the set, didn't like the way things were set up. I mean, what's to happen here? I mean, crickets, I think, is on the cusp. I think the television deal that they've done with Spark has backfired in terms of a lot of people no longer watching the game. The interest in one-day cricket from the 80s and 90s is no longer. T20 cricket, yes, it'll put a smile on your face, but there's no legacy with it. You don't wake up the next day and remember the beating India. Um, We don't seem to get the quality international sides coming here for three tests, only sort of two tests. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's what's the solution, Garth? Uh, well, I mean, a review is a good idea. But part of the part of the, I mean, it would be very, very interesting to sit down in a room with Sid and with Williamson and see if they they're eye to eye on everything. I suspect they're not. You know, I, I imagine that they probably want quite different things. I imagine, you know, I mean, Sid's been around for a long time, very good provincial coach, and he's done well with the New Zealand side. And, and I just wonder. You know, and I'm 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 thinking aloud here whether the, whether they are on a different tack and they do want different things. You know, I, I mean, I, I wonder if Stead said to Williamson, "Come on, you need to lift your rate." Um, and it, it's very hard uh, for a coach in, the, in that position to then be saying to Williamson, "Well, you're out of the team." Um, you know, so so the so I mean, I think a review. I'd be looking at a, a three, four, five year plan for New Zealand cricket for the top team and thinking, and including the women. And, in, and, and thinking, what, what do we want and how are we going to achieve it? And, and you and I have talked before about the, you know, the very poor series we had in India in 2021, where uh, through a very poor declaration by Rahane, we saved the first test by, by a, you know, by, by a, just minusculely, and we were hammered in the second test and made to look very ordinary indeed. And we go over there again, we go, we go to Pakistan in January, and then we play January, February, uh, Pakistan in December, and then we play January, February in India again, and that's going to be a very interesting, you know, challenge. Three, but it's three ODIs in India, of course, two tests in Pakistan, and three ODIs as well. But I'd be looking at it and thinking, right, how how are we going to achieve these things? And and you've got to have, I'm afraid, again, I'm very repetitive, but where you have a limited pool of talent, and I do think New Zealand cricket does very well by international standards. But as I've said to you, Mark, in the last year, yeah. I see I see the cracks coming in. Where you have very limited talent, you have to have strong leadership. And you've got to have uh, people who are prepared to be adventurous and take chances mm. and who have great cricket brains and are prepared to trust mm. their instincts. There's not enough of that. I want to talk about Daryl Mitchell. Three tests this year against England, three centuries. Um, it might have even been four centuries. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. But a wonderful, wonderful series against England. Did what no player has done uh, touring England. Is there a danger here that we end up 
um, bastardising his test cricket form by playing him across the three forms of the game? Should we not just wrap him in cotton wool and make him a test cricketer only? Well, it's interesting. I, I don't think so. I mean, he's he's uh, he's in in his thirty second year. Uh, he, what he's played twelve tests at a batting average of sixty two. Um, his, his ODI average is sixty, and his T Twenty average is twenty seven, and striking at one thirty eight. I wouldn't change anything with him. I'd play him in all three formats. And and for me, he just seems to have this extraordinary maturity uh, mark where he is able to play in those things. I mean, if you saw something happening and, and you looked at his T20 cricket and thought it's really starting to affect what's happening in test cricket, you might think about it, but at the moment, mm. um, I would make hay while okay. the sun shines. Okay, but, but, but we're not winning at the moment, are we? We're not. Yes, we beat Australia in right. T20 cricket. We're not winning, and we haven't been winning now for the last 18 months. So, so what changes do we make? What, what do we do here? Yes, we, we've talked about the coaches, but in terms of, can we just put it down to a lack of talent? I mean, have we got any less talent than we had under McCullum? Uh, well, I think we just got less direction, and and that's because and and there will always be um, an, an evolution. You can't expect the great science to stay at the top day in day out, particularly with our resources. So I think we have to be fair about that. And and as I've said to you before, it's going to get worse before it gets better because Bolt we missed last night a lot. You saw the Indian bowlers coming on in that T20 game. And suddenly the ball was hooping all around the place, swinging like nothing else. Bolt would have swung it last night as well, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, have we got the resources? Well, I, well, I don't think so. Um, and but, but I think under McCullum, uh, through him and through Hessen and Co, they had players at the top of the game, and they had a number of top class players. There are still some very good players in the New Zealand setup. Make no mistake about that. But I go back again, and, and when I talk about a three to five year plan. Um, I've mentioned to you, uh, Patel, Ajaz Patel, took 10 wickets in that test in uh, December 2021. He's bowled two overs in test cricket since then, Mark. It's a disgrace. Uh, they, they won't use him, and bear in mind they lost those three tests in England, and Patel just bowled two overs. So, you know, if, if we're to succeed, and if we continue to succeed, um, and certainly in test cricket, we have to rethink what we do with spin bowlers. Again, I've complained about Saturday having played 25 tests in the past, but he's a hell of a talent with the, with the white ball, you know, in the 50-over in the cricket and the T20. I think he's been remarkably good. Uh, but, but again, I just think we've got to pause and really think about how we can succeed in test cricket in the future. That still, to me, is the flagship. And, uh, you know, if we carry on in the same way with this absolute conservatism, we're not good enough to succeed and we're going to continue to struggle. International sides these days have got used to pace. Guys who bowl around 145 to 155 kilometres an hour, occasionally at 160, but around that 150 kilometre mark. Um, We have that in Lockie Ferguson. What has Shane Jurgensen, the New Zealand national cricket coach for bowling done in terms of his development is there any variation what he does I mean what should these pace bowlers be doing should there be variation or are they just one dimensional Um, they do you know Milne and Ferguson to me do look just a little bit one dimensional they're both quick Uh, you know when you look at what happened with that India game the other night and and of course we're talking about the white ball stuff there but uh, Surya Kumar his, his innings was exceptional, and, and let's, again, put that, that result into some degree of perspective because you will not see, I, I, you know, I think that's the finest T20 innings I've seen, or one of them. 
Um, it was just top draw. But what we didn't see from the bowling unit and, and amongst the quicks to me was the, the, the yorker and the pouncer. And I just wondered where those really simple strategies had gone. It was almost like they were just going to run in. They were caught in the headlights a little bit by him. He is brilliant. But I thought that, you know, the, 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 the wide yorker, the one at the toes, and the bouncer from these guys, from Milne and Ferguson, where was it? Um, I think if if we got into that situation again, I'd like to think that we'd do things very differently. But but Ferguson, yeah, look, I I, um, I think in T20 cricket and Milne, you've got to have a lot of variety. And I'm I'm slightly, I mean, I think Ferguson's record's pretty good, and, and but he struggled a little bit, and, and he struggled a lot uh, last night where he went at 12s and over. Um, but I think, he, you know, generally he's been pretty good. Milne looked sort of a trot to me, but came back better and looked okay. But I think if they're going to be the future uh, with, say, Salvi when Bolt disappears, then, you know, you're going to have to see a lot more variety. We've seen a bit of it. We saw glimpses of it. Uh, but just raw pace isn't going to do it against these fellas. They're too good. Uh, we've spoken a lot, Garth, and we all agree that Test cricket's the pinnacle. What meaning does this series have? What meaning do the short forms of the game have in January and February when we play in India and Pakistan? Why should we get excited? Well, two tests in Pakistan will be interesting. Yeah, I'm, taking I, I'm the tests out of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, why should we get excited? Well, it's hard to get excited at times, isn't it? I, I suppose, um, I mean, I think it's it'll be fantastic seeing New Zealand playing in Pakistan again. That's exciting for me, you know, to see... Uh, to, to, to see one day, even one-day cricket being played over yeah. there. Um, India again, uh, why do we get excited? Well, let's see how we perform, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I but, want to see us being really competitive. That will excite me. OK, but, but sport's supposed to evolve. Uh, maybe let me reframe the question. How do we capture what one-day cricket did to this country in the 1980s, what one-day cricket did for cricket globally? How do we capture that again? Because I, think, I, I don't uh, think it exists. No, I agree, and and you know I'm in um, in Auckland at the moment and talking to an Indian Uber driver today. He was complaining to me about the IPL. Hates it. He said sick and tired of it. Uh, you know, we talked about the big bash. Um, you know, I, I I just think a lot of the interest has gone out of them, and I think you know part of the thing for me as a, as a watcher and a listener is I just think the commentary is so poor. You know. Uh, the, the, the big bash in Australia, I, I can't listen to it because you've just got the same Australian people who are dull. They don't talk about the history of the game. They don't understand no. language. And they're incredibly uninteresting to listen to. And I don't think it's any better in India. Uh, so, you know, it, the, 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 and it's a real problem for the game. And I, and I don't think, you know, I think that India, the IPL is now possibly be, being seen to be a problem. And you, you're reading about India when they... Um, get kicked out of the uh, semi-final so badly by England. You, I'm reading people saying now, and, and you know, well-respected cricket writers saying that they've got to go and play more T20 cricket all around the world and get rid of the IPL. How do you capture that? That, uh, that those moments? I think uh, probably playing a bit less of it would be helpful. Um, but also, you need the characters, don't you? And I think for New Zealand, uh, you know, a player like Glenn Phillips has captured the mm. imagination. You know, I, I get excited when I see him going out to bat. I enjoy, you know, fielding at times is just nothing short of breathtaking. Um, and he's a character. You need characters, you know. Yeah, but we, and, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. You go. No, you go. Well, well, I watched, you know, I just watched the uh, the women's rugby final and I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic thing. I know that a lot of people have talked about it, but they played with a freedom. And, 
you know, I hope that they don't get constrained in the future and become more corporatized because um, that, to me, was an easy game to watch. And the test against England in the weekend, rugby-wise, was a bloody hard game to yeah, watch. Yeah, and, um, and look, I just made that point. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to get Mark Robertson. not allowed to hit him one-on-one, uh, but you just sort of sense that... Oh, you'll never, you'll never, no, you'll never be able to. No, like a gov- but, you know, New Zealand rugby on the men's side certainly has become like a government, hasn't it? It's sort of uh, very much behind closed doors. A lot of spin doctors trying to sort of control the message, and oh, that's yeah. one of the big problems that's facing sport. Um yeah, and it's a big issue. And, you know, I think players' associ- yeah, I think players associations have had too much power. I think they've let a lot of it and clearly, um, yeah, the commercial side of it. Well, I, I think that, you know, if, if, again, for me, I, I like the romance of the game. I do believe that, you know, you could have T20 cricket being um, very attractive and appealing. I, I do think the crowds will fall away a little bit, though. But, but we need characters and we need people who are, speaking in front of the cameras without media people around them, you know, and being themselves. And I think Ben Phillips offers that. I think we see a bit of it from Mitchell as well. Um, and, you know, somehow we've got to inject some personalities back into the game who people can get to know and love. And if you think about, uh, you know, going back to Australian sides, Merv Hughes and, and players like that, that there have been a lot of characters in cricket, but we don't see them now. And, um, you know, they're, 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 it, it's very corporatised and very get to the next game, play it and get out again. And um, somehow we have to capture the personalities. We saw it with the Women's World Rugby. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure it can be done. But again, you know, the, the, the powers that be, there's a lot of, um, I mean, with all international sport, as you know, there's a lot of territory mark and a lot of proprietal behavior and um and people look after their own nests and things and i sometimes mm-hmm. wonder um you know a, a meeting about the greater good of the game for everybody wouldn't be a bad thing but i'm not sure you'll ever see it mm. now garth galloway look lovely to have you on the program uh jordan peterson watch the gq interview on youtube stunning leave you with that i'll I leave will. you with that i'll leave you with that as always garth Thoroughly enjoyed talking Thanks, to Mark, you. Thanks, Mark, and, and, and you know, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next game against India. I hope we'll see some better things, but um, as I say, there's a lot to be done, I think, and it's, it's cultural as opposed to anything else. 22 and a half minutes after eight. Thoughts there of cricket commentator Garth Galloway. You can have your say on 0800 150811. Off the back of those comments there from Garth Galloway, is there room for Kane Williamson in this white ball game? Uh, what, what, how do we recapture a younger audience won't understand this, but how do we recapture the magic of the eighties? Cricket was just man, it was just the coolest thing. The one day cricket was just stunning. It just every game was a sellout, every game had importance. Beating Australia was like, you know, winning the Rugby World Cup, even if it was just once, twice. Big personalities. Uh, now there just doesn't seem to be that personality. Like rugby, it's all been shut down. It's all been monetized. It's all been corporate. You've got to go through media prevention offices. Um, they're told what they can say and what they can't say. You might have a thought on it. 0800 150 is the number. You're listening to SENZ. Don't forget to Dale Budge, not too far away. We'll look back and reflect on the Tuataras. 3-1 game series away to the Canberra Cavalry in the Australian Baseball League. That's not too far away as well, but those lines are open. You can text us here on double eight double three. Twenty-eight and a half minutes after eight, oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one is the number. FIFA Football World Cup kicked off um, earlier this morning, 
Ecuador playing Qatar. Ecuador winning that one two goals to nil. England in action up against Iran tomorrow morning. Looking forward to that. And I think it's the United States what they take on. Wales, do they? Maybe that game at eight. Uh, always enjoy my FIFA World Cup already being um, politicised. Uh, probably for the right reasons this time, where I felt the Women's Rugby World Cup it just got a little bit silly um, with the narrative that our local media took here. Uh, but we will talk some FIFA Football World Cup with uh, Andy um, after 10 o'clock tonight, uh, live out of the UK. Um, outstanding correspondent. So we will talk football. A number of texts that have come in just in and around that. But what I want to do now is talk the Tuatara baseball team. Uh, they've had two away series now, first up against the Brisbane Giants, which they ended up losing three games to one in the four-game series. And then over the weekend, oh, Brisbane Bandits, my problem, Brisbane Giants, Brisbane Bandits. And then over the weekend, <laughs> um, I was thinking about the Adelaide Giants who got absolutely hammered by Geelong career over the weekend. But anyway, over the weekend, they were in Canberra and they ended up winning that series 3-1, which means they come back home having won four, lost four, which means in baseball terminologies they're at 500 which is a really really cool start to the season they take on Sydney this week the first game is seven o'clock Friday night at North Harbour Stadium two games on Saturday three o'clock and seven o'clock do encourage people to get along and then a fourth game on Sunday to reflect on that very good performance against a very good Canberra cavalry team is a man who's heavily involved with the Tuatara Dale Budge Dale good evening welcome hey Mike I thought that was just a stunning series by the Tuatara off the back of what was a somewhat disappointing series against the Brisbane Bandits. Uh, Steve Mintz had come out off the back of the Brisbane series and said, look, our batting, we weren't intelligent enough. Our pitching, we got too far behind on the count. This team, listen, this team addressed those issues. Yep, certainly did. Um, You're pretty disappointed with how that Brisbane series went. I mean, not just the the series score 3-1, but... The, the manner in which the team played and, and the things that they can control, don't think they quite nailed that in, in Brisbane. And a lot of those things, as you touched on, were, were addressed in Canberra against a very good Canberra side. They're a hard team to beat. Brisbane have plenty of um, upside, but I think Canberra uh, are just going to be one of those teams that are really hard to you know get them on an off day. They don't tend to have too many of them. And, uh, the Tuatara beat them into submission, 52 hits across four games, which... Yeah, if you're putting that into sort of cricket perspective, it'd be like, you know, scoring 350 in a one-day game or 200 in a T20 game. You, you get a win your lion's share of games if you can you can do that. And Tuatara, Tuatara certainly did that over the, the last four days. Yeah, I put it in context for people not familiar with baseball, but put it this way. If you're playing in the major leagues and you hit three out of every 10 that when you went to the plate, you'd be worth a $100 million contract because three out of 10 you would be exceptional in the major leagues, just giving you an idea of how much the ball does dominate in the sport of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird sport that you fail most of the time. The best sort of fail 70% of the time, as you, as you rightly talk about. You know, if you hit 300, you're an exceptional hitter. If you hit 250, you're sort of, you know, middle of the road and, and you know, anything under 200 is probably uh, not, not up to up to scrub. But, um, yeah, the Tuatara hitters, I think everyone got in on the act. Even some of the guys that were... Uh, struggling against Brisbane, White Hoffman had a, a better series. Start to see some of what he's capable of. Uh, Kamu Sashida, um, the Japanese import, was was very good as well. Came up with some timely hits, and you know the top sort of five, six, seven in that order. Um, 
yeah, absolutely lethal. We saw Sue Aylin, the ex-major leaguer, he's got three home runs, I think, now on the, on the season. Uh, had a hit in every single game, just dominant. You know, Jason Matthews continued his strong start to the year. Clayton Campbell had covered, following him up in the order. Uh, had a really good series. And we saw Jack Spiggers, who I thought was, was quiet. The numbers probably didn't tell the true story against Brisbane. I thought he actually put together some good at-bats without a whole lot of success. Uh, we started to see some of that success, you know, come to the fore against Canberra. I thought he had a really, really good series. And Matt Feinstein continues to deliver. He's been the home, the uh, RBI guy for uh, the Tuatara so far, hitting in the clean-up position. And, um, yeah, what did he, uh, six, six RBIs, I think, off the top of my head across the series. So another strong one for him as well. Yeah, Caber Rodriguez, who's fielding at third base, uh, arguably... Th- I think probably one of the best fielders we've seen in the ABL, but also now doing some great things with the bat, hitting a very good home run as well over the weekend. Yeah, led one off, um, you know, a key one at the time when the, the Tuatara needed to, to put Canberra away. Um, he came up with a big hit. He's doing it all. Like, he can run, he can, you know, he's a genuine sort of five-tool player. As you said, you know, he's playing a little bit of third place, third place a little bit of shortstop when Lynn needs a spell. Um, you know, J- Jason Matthews is a the shortstop by trade, and uh, having to use him as a sort of DH baseman because uh, the amount of talent fielding wise in this team is, is exceptional. Jack Spiggers is generally an infielder, um, has, has been largely in his minor league career to this point, and he's playing in the outfield. So it's a very, very good defensive side. That was the whole idea when this side was put together to be defensively sound. And you know they're not going to they're not going to bash a, a ton of home runs. I think there'll be other teams who'll hit more home runs than the Tuatara this year. But um, it's it's the sum of all things, sum of all parts. You know, guys will put the ball in play, uh, will we'll sort of move guys over, and it'll be stringing good at bats together. And we saw that against Canberra. We didn't see it enough against Brisbane, and that was what he was very critical of. We saw what that side's capable of against Canberra, and I'm sure that'll be the blueprint. Um, yeah, moving forward. Yeah, Dale, we've just had a text come in. Someone just wanting to know how you set up the batting order on a baseball team. Where do you put your best hitters? What's generally um, the lineup? Do you spread them out throughout <laughs> the nine? Do you have your best hitters at the top of the order? If you could just maybe explain uh, the general conventions yeah, in and around that for non-baseball aficionados. Traditionally, you have your, what you call your sort of table setters at the top of the order. So guys will get on base. Uh, you know, don't necessarily hit for a lot of power, but we get on base, hit for a high average. So, chances of them getting on um, is significantly higher than for the other players on your on your roster. And then your sort of three, four, five hitters are the guys that are most likely to hit the ball out. So they're the guys that are going to drive in those those table setters. And then obviously the the, the lighting, lighter hitting players would hit towards the bottom of the order. But with with this roster, um. Regan and I both had sort of goes at putting together what we thought the lineup might look like or the order might look like. Um, and Bragg have done things a wee bit different, and it seems to be working. And you know, it's, it's really interesting sort of hearing their thinking. I mean, this is what you get with 20 years coaching in the uh, in the professional game and experience. You know, Bragg has been there and done it as a you know 15 year major league player himself, and, and you know, been a coach for a long time now. Just little things about putting pressure on this guy, easing the pressure on that guy just because of the personalities and what, what you know, he wants to, to see from them. Challenging a player to to perform, um, you know, easing another player in and um, and then obviously just talking to the players themselves. You know, Su Wei Lin, to me, is, is the cream in the this, in this side. He's the guy that's played in the major leagues. You know, we thought he would be the, the three-hole hitter for the Tuatara. He, OK, sorry, sorry just, to, just, to, just to explain the terminology three-hole, Dale. 
So hitting third in the order, so you know you have a lead-off guy batting number one, position number one, number two, number three, number four, so on down to number nine. So we thought Lynn being the premier hitter on the side we would probably hit somewhere around the three-hole. Uh, he prefers to be higher up than that. He, he thinks that he'd rather have the other power bats he's seen in a fest, you know, what his teammates bring to the table and feels that he'd be better served hitting higher in the order. So I don't know whether that's selflessness on his part. Um, yeah, I mean, he's going to get probably less RBI opportunities, but, um, gee, it's working so far. He's been phenomenal across the first eight games. Yeah. Now, Dale, we talked about just how in baseball it is dominated by the ball and hitters if they get three out of ten are world class, four out of ten in your Hall of Famer, uh, two and a half out of ten or 25%, and you're still going to make the majors, which says that it's all about pitching. How impressed have you been by our pitching stock? Are they living up to your expectations? Are we on track? I mean, it is sometimes, you know, sometimes it does take a few games and players do need to, you know, build that momentum. Uh, are we looking good heading into this first home series? Are you confident that we can get the job done and that, you know, the players like the hitters are starting to come into their zone? I think that's probably more the question mark at the moment around the Tuatara is the, is the pitching. I think we've seen certainly signs and, and you know, we're pretty confident the talent's there. Um, not sure we've seen the best of all of the, the, the pitches so far in the Tuatara. Toru Marata yesterday was, was outstanding. You know, ex came on five innings, you know, shut out baseball, looks really, really sharp against as I say, a really good Canberra side and they didn't have much of an idea against him, couldn't, couldn't barrel the ball. Um, you know, he, he's looked old and he was pretty good against, pretty sharp against Brisbane at the start too and just got a little bit of tightness that um, uh, meant that he had to exit his start early um, in Brisbane. But uh, yeah, he certainly seems to be uh, at, at a level that's going to be pretty competitive here. I thought we saw most of the, the Tuatara pitchers take a step forward this series. Um, there was some trouble Saturday night. It's fair to say that um, you know, the, the players that went Saturday, Ben Thompson, young Kiwi, got a got a start in very challenging circumstances. It was quite heavy drizzle. In fact, it was you know, flat out rain at one point and um, very difficult to grip the, the ball, as it was for the Canberra side as well, admittedly. Um, so I think you know, his lack of accuracy, he wasn't missing by a lot, but he wasn't quite hitting his mark. He was outstanding against Brisbane, but um, I think they struggled in conditions Saturday night. But after that, the rest of the players to pitch Saturday night probably didn't have their best stuff, struggled to locate, and that's probably a little bit of a question mark for uh, the coaching staff as we prepare for um, the, the Sydney Blue Sox series. Uh, one or two of those players not quite at full health, um, and we may may see a change there. I think there'll, there'll likely be one player that, that sort of won't be uh, available against Sydney. Uh, so we're just sort of working through that at the moment. But um, outside of that, yeah, I think the other starters took steps forward. The win was good. Lynn, Lynn was you know, certainly a better start than what we saw in Brisbane. Young Chin Yu, who was good in relief against Brisbane, got the opportunity to start on Friday night. And gave up hits to the first four batters he faced and gave up some runs. And he thought, oh, OK, this is going to be women for a rough night. Well, he settled down and then from the second inning on, he didn't concede you know, anything to, to a, get a very good Canberra side. So I think that was a real positive um, step forward for, for Chen Yu. He's a young player with a lot of upside. I think there was some serious interest from Major League teams prior to the COVID uh, pandemic, and he was sort of stuck with side Taiwan having very tight um, rules, much like New Zealand did. He was unable to sort of get to the United States. So be a bit of interest in, in how he progresses, and yeah, we certainly saw the, the talent come to the fore on Friday night. So overall, I think, you know, that's probably the area where 
Tuatara can improve the, the most is with the pitching. The defence has been pretty good. The, the, the offence is going really well. So um, if they can just lift that pitching a little bit more over the next couple of weeks, I think Tuatara will be in really good shape. Dale Budge, as always, thank you for your time tonight on the programme. Greatly appreciated. And just a reminder too, do check out the ABL website those game times for this weekend series at home, North Harbour Stadium against the Sydney Blue Sox, Friday night, doubleheader on Saturday and the fourth game on Sunday. Look forward to seeing you there. It certainly is uh, a wonderful sport to watch. Look, might just be a bit of a novelty factor initially, but give it a chance. Give it a chance. Go and have a look. Cheap entry, great entertainment, great sport, world-class baseball. Ah, there you go. There you go. Uh, What have we got? Talking heads there. Psycho Killer. One of the great songs out of the 1980s. Boy, that brings back some memories, doesn't it? It's amazing how music can be such a powerful medium. It can take you back to a place, a time. Not always a good time sometimes. I always say that, you know, when you were young and you have those girlfriends and you have those big breakups and you get your heart broken. I always used to say to myself, well, I can use really good music to get me through this or I can just not play good music so that when I do play it in the future, I don't go back to really difficult, tough time. And I always just say, you know, she can take my heart. It's not going to take my music. But then I'm implying that I was the one that was always dumped, and that's not the case necessarily. That is not the case necessarily. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on music. A lot of athletes, you know, that end up having a really good race or have a really good performance might have listened to a certain song and go out and have a blinder, and then that becomes part of that pre-game or pre-performance ritual, play a certain song. Certain smells. Smells another one that can just take you back to a time and a place. It's interesting. I sort of think of my family home when we grew up in Mount Albert. And my dad actually built that house and no longer living there. But just a little, you can visualize certain parts of that house. And it's amazing how you can just recall even the smells that came with being down in a concrete garage, being upstairs in a room that had shag pile carpet laid. And all those little idiosyncrasies that you remember as a child. So really nice music taste uh, there, Ben. Ben, are we going to see you maybe get along to a Tuatara game? Of course. My, I found I found out, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, I had never asked my partner what sport she likes, and she said she actually likes baseball, so I kind of have to head along, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, they do a really, really good job on it too. So, um, yeah, and let's just hope that they can just tighten their pitching up a little bit. Their offense is superb. It'd be really cool if they could go on and do something really special. Um, really closely monitored by the major league clubs as well, and a lot of those major league clubs are affiliated with each of the Australian-based franchise. Interesting game that I was just looking at. Uh, the Geelong Korea, so it's a Korean-based team that are play out of the city of Geelong, played the Adelaide Giants, and the final score was twenty-three eleven. Either the greatest hitting in the history of baseball or the worst pitching. I'm not sure. Generally, it's pretty poor pitching if you're hitting that many runs. But 23-11, that is the exception to the rule. That is not the rule. Uh, Look, we will talk the Football World Cup after 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, Between 9 and 10, keen to just, again, see if we can get a bit of talk back at a slightly different time of night. Just want to get people's thoughts on that All Black season. Um, I gave it 3 out of 10. Not good enough. Um, No confidence from me at all in Ian Foster. You know, it's not acceptable that he continues to say, look, I'm happy with where we're at. You know, his whole 
his whole focus is the Rugby World Cup and I just think it's a really dangerous ideology to be thinking about and planning for the Rugby World Cup this far out. It doesn't work. It doesn't mean too much. South Africa proved that when in the last World Cup they were beaten 57 points to nil about 18 months out from that World Cup and ended up going on and winning it. The only thing that's important for All Black fans is the All Blacks win every test. What players stood up? What players failed? What changes would you like to see? And how do you think we are tracking heading into 2023? And because they have made it about the World Cup, what chance do you give us at that World Cup? We'll have that conversation after nine o'clock. We've got uh, plenty of audio too that will bring you between 9 and 11 o'clock tonight. We'll hear from Welsh player Gareth Bale. We'll hear from Gareth Southgate, the England manager. We'll hear from Lydia Coe. We've got audio from Eddie Jones and also Ian Foster off the back of press conferences yesterday. Uh, Lydia Coe winning $2 million for winning the Player of the Year on the LPGA, winning the CME Group Tour Championship outlasting Leona Maguire of Ireland in the final round. It is her 19th title since turning professional. Two majors. She's on the cusp of being inducted into the Golfing Women's Hall of Fame. Remarkable achievement. The fact there's $2 million up in prize money says that this is a global game. You want to find out how big a game is in a professional sport? Find out. How much prize money there is, find out how much players are getting paid and you get a pretty good idea of whether it is a genuinely global sport with global interest or whether or not it's more amateur or whether or not it's possibly be trumped up to be more than it actually is. So I do want to celebrate the performance of Lydia Co after nine o'clock coming up in around about three and a half minutes. Uh, again, apologise for the banking of the ads towards the back of the hour. Certainly not my intention. We'll try and spread them out a little bit more evenly. But if you do hear a company on the station advertising, they are part of your future decision process. When you're buying any particular product, please go with the brands that you hear on the station. It is one minute after nine. You're listening to SENZ. Lines are open. If you are just listening on the radio uh, via the app at home in the car, 0800 150811. like to get your thoughts on that all-black season. How do you rate it? I gave it a 3 out of 10, just simply not good enough. Uh, yes, we've gone seven games consecutively now uh, without a loss, but that draw against England was as good as a loss, and I think we got away with one, didn't we, in that second Bledisloe Cup test. I'm not sure that anyone finishes the year feeling confident with Ian Foster, feeling confident with this team. Uh, only this team under Ian Foster uh, could have capitulated to the degree they did against the English, even though it made for compelling television. Uh, what mark do you give the All Blacks out of 10? Who were the breakout players for you? Who were the disappointments? Chris Ratu in the New Zealand Herald, great sports columnist, good man Chris, has come out and I agree with him and I'm pleased somebody else said it. Not convinced on Richie Mawanga. We also agree on the fact that I think the breakout player was Dalton Papalihi, but the fact is Dalton Papalihi got a chance to show what Dalton Papalihi is capable of because he got some con- continuity, got some consistency, he got some game time in the face of Sam Kane's injury, which again reinforces the fact that resting and rotating players doesn't allow players to get or find form. Our players need to be playing consistently, need to be playing regularly. 
Um, Ian Foster, in my opinion, has got to be one of the most arrogant people in sport. His sense of self-entitlement, I know better, is the reason why I didn't watch any of these three games in the Northern Hemisphere live. I watched them delayed. You listen to his press conferences and we'll play one shortly. He's happy where things are at. Everything he says has that underlying tone about judge me on the World Cup. I'm sorry, we're not going to judge you on the World Cup. This is the All Blacks. They win every test. Forget planning four years out. Forget ruining every other form of the game in the name of trying to win a Rugby World Cup. There's a reason Las Vegas exists. It exists because it wasn't built on winners. You don't win gambling. And Ian Foster is gambling. He's gambling with the emotions of New Zealand. He's gambling with the history, with the legacy, and with the famous all-black brand. And he's not winning, but he keeps coming back to the table. He wants to try and make up his losses. Another stone underneath the towel over summer. We heard the same rhetoric last year when we lost to France and Ireland on the end of the year tour. I hear the rhetoric, oh, the boys will learn from this England game. What, just like they learnt when they lost to Ireland this year? Just like they learnt when they lost to Argentina at home? This team doesn't learn. Because it's clear that there are parts of this team or there is a coach who doesn't seem to have the ability to get through or evolve. And I will say this about Ian Foster. Purely as a coach and in no other way, not as not as a person, not as a not as a father or anything like that. I'm certainly not being that derogatory, just purely in a coaching sense. You cannot put back in what God left out, Ian Foster. You are an assistant coach at best. And we now all know we're not going to win this Rugby World Cup. And now we're waiting for the next five years, aren't we? Which means, and if we win in five years, it would have been 12 years since holding the William Webb Ellis Trophy. It didn't need to be that way. But nepotism, a old boys network, and what I believe to be some pretty strong personalities, including our former coach Steve Hansen, put us in this position. By insisting this guy was good enough when it wasn't. 0800 150811. Um, just on that too, Ian Foster, all black coach, we're in the wilderness and yet England are circling potentially guys like Scott Robertson to take over from Eddie Jones. We're going to lose this guy, aren't we? like we lost Joe Schmidt originally, like we lost Chris Boyd, like we've lost Dave Rennie, like we've lost Tony Brown, Jamie Joseph, and a host of other very good coaches because of the selfish, dictatorial, old boys mentality of the New Zealand Rugby Union. What are we doing to retain and keep our coaches? That's the question I want somebody in the sycophantic media to actually go out and ask Mark Robertson. New Zealand rugby starts to look more and more 
like the government. Secret squirrels, secret handshakes, no transparency. The message is controlled, the message is run by spin doctors. It's rugby, man. Just answer the damn questions. Give us some damn honesty. Where do you sit? 0800-150-811 is the number. Um, also just want to acknowledge Joelle King too for winning that Singapore Open in squash. Two times. She's won five Olympic Games gold medals, Joelle King. I think she's on par. Is it Madonna Harris? Cyclist that might have the same? In terms of the most decorated Commonwealth Games athletes, or is it? Well, I'll check on that. A well done to her. And equally, too, on a positive note, well done to Ruby Tui from Ruby Tui from the Black Ferns for picking up the Breakout Player of the Year. Uh, Ruahe Demont for picking up Women's Fifteens Player of the Year, and Wayne Smith, who was named Coach of the Year. Congratulations to those three New Zealanders. Wayne Smith, the best coach in the world. I'm sure he'll get the knighthood now because of the populist rhetoric out there. Disagree with it. No problem if you're going to knight Wayne Smith, but please knight Daniel Lotus coach Duncan Lang posthumously. Go back and knight Stephen Kearney for winning the Rugby League World Cup. Go back and, and he's still alive at 100. Arch Jelly, knight him for... Basically, John Walker's remarkable career as a middle-distance athlete. Let's just be consistent. If we're going to do this throwback to the class system of colonial Great Britain. 0800 150 is the number. Text us here, 8833. Uh, the Kiwi Ferns were a bit of an embarrassment, weren't they? Really disappointing. Didn't look fit. Missed 59 tackles. Absolutely destroyed by the Gillaroos, 54-4. Now, if you're going to jump up and down, or well, the media are going to jump up and down and expect to be treated equally alongside your men's counterparts, so we've had over 100 years earning the right, and I guess you know this is the evolution of the women's game, you've got to perform better than that. Because I am going to come out and criticise you tonight. Because I think that's only fair. I've had a field day on the Warriors. I've had a field day on the Kiwis in the past. I've had a field day on the All Blacks. But that performance from our Women's Kiwi Rugby League team was nothing short of embarrassing. Very, very poor. The one benefit I will say out of it, the game's very much in its infancy. And it does lack depth. And in time, hopefully, through the exploits of this team up to that final, that will encourage a group of young players to want to get involved in women's rugby league and hopefully in time it does grow. But again, please just let it organically grow. You know, Another tournament politicised, uh, media trying to make out that it carried the same importance as the men's and it clearly doesn't. It might get there one day, but it clearly doesn't. Uh, just on that, the media, I think, were hypocrites too when it came to the women's rugby league team. They didn't give it the same coverage they gave women's rugby. Yet the narrative they presented during the Women's Rugby World Cup was one of equity, one of equality uh, against men or in line or to align it at the same level as 
well, yeah, to bring parity, uh, the equivalent in the men's game. Yet at the same time, gave the Women's Rugby League a lot less coverage than the women's rugby team. So what makes Women's Rugby League lesser than women's rugby? You don't like women's rugby being lesser than men's rugby, yet you're not really practising what you preach. Or you're contradicting your own argument. And if they had won that Women's Rugby World Cup, well, their coaching staff have been knighted. 0800 is the number. Uh, just Kane Williamson... Uh, is it time for him to give up the white ball? T20, 50 or 48 balls. Very predictable, aren't they, this New Zealand team at the moment? We're not winning. Gary Stead, Williamson, are they on different pages here? And why doesn't anybody sort of seem to care? Why don't we put New Zealand cricket under the same microscope as we do New Zealand rugby? Is that because we've never had an expectation on them? Or is that the fact that they're now on a different platform and they've lost a large chunk of their audience. By the way, I just want to congratulate Spark on what they're doing in that space. I think they do a really, really good job and there's some wonderful sports on the platform, but I just don't think a lot of people want to pay for two platforms, Sky and Spark. And so when New Zealand Cricket signed this deal, which was considerably more than what Sky was offering, they took the money, but underestimated perhaps that they weren't going to get the audience and I think that's coming back to bite them there doesn't seem to be buzz around cricket anymore I mean how does cricket capture the 1980s the 1990s the one day game the coloured uniforms too much one day cricket too much IPL not enough emphasis on the international game one or two players can win it, not a team. Where to now for this Black Caps? They take on India in the third T20 tomorrow before they do move into the one-day series. Um, hey, Mark, just some texts that have come in. Uh, from Michael Holdsworth, Michael says, what did you think of the opening game of the FIFA World Cup this morning? I didn't watch it, Michael. Not really interested, to be honest. Getting up that early to watch Ecuador take on Qatar. I watched the highlights. More interested, to be honest, in England. Playing Iran tomorrow, nothing to do with the politics of it. We'll play some audio shortly from Gareth Bale. I just like the England football team. Can't stand their rugby team like their English soccer team. Uh, but this text here, um, hey Mark, great prediction on the All Blacks England draw. You called it, yeah, look, I did say last week I felt it was going to be a draw. I'm not sure why. However... I've never bet it on sport. And I've got to say, in this true story, I came that close to chucking $100 on England and New Zealand for the draw because it was paying 18 to 1. But I didn't. I didn't. So it's not one of those if only, could have been, should have been. And I probably would have been feeling pretty uh, sorry for myself when we were up by 25 points to 6 with about 7 or 8 minutes to go, thinking there's $100 wasted. My wife won't be overly impressed. But I also go back to my moniker. Um that Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. Uh, this person wanting to know what my predictions are for the three World Cup games tomorrow morning. What are the three World Cup games tomorrow morning, Ben? We've got England-Iran. England-Iran, 2am. From 5am, we've got Senegal against the Dutch. And from 8, we have USA against Wales. OK, I'm going to predict the Netherlands will beat Senegal by two goals to nil. 
I think it'll go two ways with England, but I'm going to go with England beating Iran three goals to nil. And then the Wales-United States game, I think, will end up in a bit of a stalemate at one all. Well, the Dutch and the English are pretty big favourites in those two games. Uh, America has a slight advantage over Wales heading into that one. Yes, the FIFA Football World Cup, there was in England need to come out. They need to make a statement early. Southgate needs to pick the right team. He's got plenty of players to choose from. And a lot of discussion around who should start, who shouldn't start. Does he go with loyalty or does he go with form? If he goes with loyalty and they underperform, he's going to get absolutely monstered. But they need to start well, England. I hope they do start well. Well, it does sound like he is going to go with loyalty, uh, to be honest. All the early reports out saying that uh, Harry Maguire will set to start in a 4-3-3 formation. Jude Bellingham uh, looks like he's going to get a start Don't as well. Don't have a problem so. with Bellingham. Big issue with Maguire. If he stuffs this up, he's going to get persecuted because a lot of people don't think he should have gone. Equally, a lot of people didn't feel that um, Alexander-Arnold should go, but you can't take one and not the other. You couldn't justify one's inclusion, not use the same rationale to bring the other. But can you guess the biggest headline currently at the Football World Cup? The beer? No. Ronaldo has spoken. Has he? He has. He has said... I am bulletproof. I wear an iron suit. Stop asking my teammates about me. Ask them about the World Cup. I don't care what other people think. I speak when I want to. Apparently, he went down and addressed the media this morning over in Qatar, and that was his his few words that he said. Yeah, not fair enough, too. But look, you go that. That's the reason why he's a multi, multi multi-million, hundred millionaire, because of who he is, and he's got to realise that, you know, when you're that big and you've got that many social media followers and you've worked that hard to get them, that... You can't just have the good, you've got to have the bad. And uh, let's be honest, if it wasn't for out, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. And I think that carries across a lot of industries. Uh, hey, why, don't, why does New Zealand Cricket not have any uh, radio commentary? Well, they do. I think they have it on, is it Tover FM? What's that station they call it? Oh, Today FM. Sorry. Um, I think they do do some, don't they? But I'm not sure. I don't know. But I think, look, I'll say this, Jeremy. I don't think a lot of sport on the radio sounds any good. I just think that these days, too many other ways to get your information, too much to watch it. I'm not a big fan of um, netball. I'm not a big fan of rugby on the radio. I think the odd, I think test matches can get away with it. I don't think netball's a great product on the radio. I don't think soccer's a great product on the radio, but I can understand, you know, for some people it is their only lifeline, but probably in terms of the mass market and therefore the commercial market, I'm not sure... It's once what it was, but I do think cricket is the one sport that's still with the right commentary team, guys like Garth Galloway and stuff, I think with the right commentary team still has a place and can still have a real sort of romance about it. And it does take you back to those hazy days, those hazy, was it the hazy, lazy days of summer where you're sort of painting the fence and, you know, Hadley now from the Sandringham Road end and you used to get that lovely um, critique and then, a lovely little discussion driven by the likes of the Jeremy Coney's sort of doing some nostalgia or telling some stories. And I think cricket really does work from a radio point of view. Um, look, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, clearly, the likes of Radio Sport, uh, NZME or News Talk ZB on all those stations that used to have it, they clearly just don't think there's, you know, any sort of uh, commercial opportunity. I know here at SENZ they're doing their best. We've got the rights to a lot of the one day cricket 
overseas. We don't have the rights to the domestic stuff here, but when the New Zealand team is overseas, I know that we do our best, and I think Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott do a fantastic job on that. Uh, so I think cricket does work. I'm not sure about other sports. It's like that thing, isn't it? It's what uh, economic term, opportunity cost. If we do this, what are we not doing? So if we take this commentary versus, say, regular programming, do we gain commercially by doing this or do we lose commercially by not doing regular programming? How big is the audience? And let's be honest, all media companies, it's all driven about readership, viewership, listenership. And they're the decisions they do need to make. 19 minutes after 9, 0800 150 811 is the number. Okay, 23 minutes after 9. Really nice text that's come in from Carl, actually. I do appreciate it. He says, I wonder what Brian Waddle does now. You're correct, him and Jeremy McConey for sure. And look, he, he makes a really good point here and one that I overlooked regarding radio commentary. But Rugby League is a cracking game listening live on the radio. ABC in Australia just paints a picture perfectly and I can see it all in my mind when I close my eyes. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it, to being a good radio commentator, particularly in those fast-moving ball sports, being able to paint the picture, being able to describe where they are on the field, but at the same time keep the game flowing. Cricket, you've just got so much more time, you can become a storyteller. And I think that's why... It's probably easier as a commentator to pull off and the outstanding commentators can do it in rugby league. Not an easy thing to do. Ben, you were going to say something? No, you're just putting your headphones on. Okay. Uh, let's go to Sydney and catch up with Mark. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mark. How are you going? Yeah, well. Good. I wish I was as well. I was flat on my back most of the weekend trying to recover from a sore throat and I'm still recovering, but I'm better than I was, so that's good at least. So uh, I thought... Uh, the talk you had with the Auckland to Atara's uh, guy was really um, informative and really well done earlier tonight when I was listening to it. And um, I reckon the Sydney Blue Sox playing against the two Ataras will give them a good run for their money in this uh, series coming up next weekend. I think the two Atara are going to sweep it 4-0. That's just my opinion, maybe because I'm a little bit close to the team here, Mark. Um, what makes you suggest that the Sydney Blue Sox are going to be able to shut down this very, very good offensive outfit Offensive outfit. To be honest, anything can happen because um, I think the Sydney Blue Sox, they've got a good mix this year of uh, youth with regards to new young players and energy, especially with some new pitches we've got. And uh, we've got some good veteran players there too. And um, I've just got this good feeling that Sydney will do really well this weekend. I mean, obviously, uh, I think uh, the Tuatara have a guy who is from Japan and... uh, he might be in the major leagues. I could be wrong from what I heard in the interview, but uh, I think Sydney will give them a good run for their money. Yeah, look, I hope so. All you do is you just want a good close competition. I mean, clearly, I just want to see the Tuatara do well. I'm lucky enough to call the games um, for the Tuatara, um, and so really excited. You know, it's been a two-year wait to get back into the chair and do it. Um, it was one of the yep. best broadcasting experiences I had a couple of years ago, just because it was such a um, a small organisation run on the smell of an oily rag, and everybody was sort of ended up being sort of connected somehow. Um, yep. But I also know just how strong both Canberra Cavalry are. I know how strong the Brisbane Bandits are. Um, and I desperately know that, you know, we need to we need to take advantage of home. The thing is, what, what makes this unusual is that 
these players probably tomorrow will be the first time they actually go to North Harbour Stadium and see the stadium and being able to get out on it. You know, they've just played the last couple of weeks in Australia. Um, this series, I don't think they're actually going to feel that homely for them because they just haven't had enough time to settle in here uh, and get used to yeah. the facilities and get used to those little idiosyncrasies and smells that give a team that home advantage. Yeah, I think that's something that happens across the season. You know, everybody gradually settles into their teams when they're from overseas, when they come like, to New Zealand or Australia. But you know, it, it really makes for a good, fun season because here in Sydney, we've got a lot of um, American Canadian players who play in the Blue Sox and they love it here. And a lot of them often re-sign to come back in following seasons. And um, getting back to my comment that anything can happen, a few years back, we had a match against, I think it was Cam, off the top of my head, and it went to like 15 innings. And me and the other fans were there till like two in the morning. And uh, it went to extra innings. And Sydney won it by uh, a, a run, basically. Uh, one of their guys was uh, pitching really well. And then he just happened to pitch a straight pitch. One of our guys hit it out to center field. And we got a guy home off second. And that won the game for us. So anything can happen. That was the best Blue Sox game I've been to. Uh, yeah, look, um, Mark, um what people might not be aware of is that most baseball games, well, all baseball games are nine inning. Uh, each team bats nine times. Um, here in Auckland for the ABL season, for the Tuatara home games, it's just seven. And part of that is to try and speed the game up a little bit, try and draw in a new fan base who I think can sit around and enjoy it for two hours, who might struggle with a game that goes for over three hours. And there's been a bit of debate around that. It worked well a couple of years ago. Um, even though it breaks with tradition, it's nice that they can tailor it towards the fans and have that holistic approach. What I do understand is that any time there is a double header, whether it be here in Australia, whether it be here in New Zealand with the Tuatara or in Australia with all the other franchise teams, if there are double headers on the Saturday or the Sunday, then those games in Australia as well will end up being just seven inning games. So what it does do, it puts a little bit more pressure uh, on teams to perform early, to keep the scores ticking along. And what it probably also does, it takes probably maybe just a little bit of pressure off your pitching roster as well. Mark, as always, lovely to have you on the program, mate. Always appreciate it. Uh, you always add value to the show. Thank you. Love to get your thoughts on 0800 150 You can text us here on 8833. It is 29 minutes after nine. You're listening to SENZ. Andy Buckley on the program after 10 o'clock. Uh, get his thoughts on this upcoming England-Iran game set to go 2 o'clock New Zealand time tomorrow morning. Uh, tomorrow on the program between 7 and 8, we're going to put the spotlight and focus on futsal. Um, in layman's terms, it's basically football's indoor form of the game. However, you talk to the futsal purists, they do not like comparisons being made to football. They think it's very different, but the reality is it's um, pretty much indoor soccer uh, with some very, very cool rules. Um, so we're going to have Marvin Egan's in studio, who is Mr. Futsal. He's the national men's coach, the Futsal Whites coach. I was lucky enough over the weekend to do some commentary, which went across live on Sky Television, doing the Futsal Super League over the last couple of weekends, the Ford Futsal Super League. And got to say, boy, I was impressed by the athleticism, impressed by the skills. If you want to, if you've got a, a young uh, boy or girl who's wanting to progress in football. Get them playing some futsal. You will develop your skill set incredibly. It's a game that 
um, very much encourages innovation. You can be a little bit of a show pony with some of those um, fancy skills at the right times. It teaches you about urgency. You've got to be incredibly fit, but man, you've got to throw yourself around. Some of the goalkeeping was just incredible. It's a really heavy ball, a futsal ball. It's much smaller than a football. Not much smaller, but it's smaller. A lot heavier, so you don't get that bounce. Um, 20 minute halves. Every time the ball goes out, the clock stops. So a game actually ends up going for about 80 or 90 minutes. They have this foul system where if you foul a team, if you foul somebody, and there's a lot of fouls go on. I'll be honest, I was impressed with how the players dealt with some of the fouls because some of them are quite heavy fouls. You pick up a team foul, and if a team picks up five fouls, every foul after that you go to a 10-metre penalty shot. At the end of the half, those penalty counts go back to zero again. And so what it does, it just means be careful. You can't be too physical. But it is a physical game. I was so impressed by what I watched, so impressed by what I saw. An exciting game. Congratulations to Papakura on winning the women's side of it. And East Coast Bay is doing an absolute demolition on Auckland City. Some brilliant individual goals, some wonderful team goals. So tomorrow, while the FIFA Football World Cup's on, we're going to sort of have a little bit of a football theme Over the next few weeks, we're going to have some spotlight hours to try and sort of capture everything that is football, including futsal, which, you know, does come under FIFA, does come under New Zealand football. We'll start it tomorrow night with Marvin Eakins in studio talking about the game. And if you've got any questions, feel free to text us here on double eight double three. Or again, we will open the lines tomorrow night between 08 on 0800 1508. Double one. Keep your thoughts coming in. Andy Buckley on the programme after 10. We will preview that England game and that Welsh game they take on the United States. But before we do that, um, you might not have heard this. Um, I just find this infuriating to listen to. So I'm not actually going to listen to it because I've listened to it. Infuriating to listen to. Um, but we're going to hear from the Grady and Foster because, mate, the blueprint, it's all coming to plan. It's all working out. He's happy with where we're at. Going to win this Rugby World Cup under the great man. But this was the press conference from Ian Foster after we snatched defeat. Oh, that's right. It wasn't defeat. It was a draw from the Jaws of Victory. Ian Foster. Well, good evening, everyone. We'll just let Ian, Ian Foster come up with mm-hmm. first before we take some questions. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Um... We'll probably have two press conferences, one for the first 70 minutes and one for the next 10. So um, it was uh, it was a game of drama. Um, and, uh, you know, to come away with 25 all draws, probably something we're pretty disappointed with. I felt our first 70, we... we uh, to me, we were, really played the sort of rugby that we want to get to. We were um, we had a great tour... And we were pretty determined to come to this game against a team that was very physical against us three years ago and and we struggled to control the game line against and thought tonight we did that really, really well and put ourselves into a position that we, we should have been a little bit better but um, credit to England, the way they came back, that card sort of galvanised them and 
um, and their performance in the last ten is you know is, is worthy of a lot of credit. But uh, you know, twenty five all to finish the year. Whilst it's frustrating, there was large parts of that performance I'm particularly proud of, and think shows us a lot of the progress we've made in the second half of this year. Well, we went down one, clearly, and we'll probably have to pull it apart and have a look, but clearly they started to bend us. They Once we're down to 14, they went wide, wide, and, and we weren't able to stop them bending, and so we just got them on the front foot. It's probably the, the type of ball that they were trying to get from the start of the game and couldn't quite get it, and but they certainly got it at the end. So, you know, it's a, it's a good growth point for us. We've got to make sure we nail that. But, um, um, you know, again, so it was disappointing, but th they did what they had to do well and, and we couldn't stop them in that last part. Sam, was a bit of a kick in the teeth to draw like that given you're on track for a pretty comfortable win? Yeah. Um, <coughs> go from uh, a few points up there and then all of a sudden start leaking through the middle and around the, around the edge, um, which is, is not nice. And um, the boys were definitely trying out there and, and that's something that... Um, you never, never fault that. I thought that was really good from the guys, but we've just got to, as as Fozzie said, we've got to pull it apart and look at um, why that happened, and then and come up with a few solutions because uh, we didn't out there, and and now uh, that's why we come away with a 25 all draw. What was your message at 25 18 when they just scored two tries? Was it to keep it inside? What, what were you saying to uh, It was more around accuracy. Um, you know in those tight games that, that we've just uh, experienced, you've got to make sure you, you still play, um, but you've got to be really accurate in what you do, so whether that's your ball carry, whether that's your cleaning um, your passing, you don't want to give an opportunity, whether that's a, a penalty, etc, so um, that's all we were talking about and the boys were really calm out there too, but it's, uh, it's different between being calm and actually doing it Oh, I think I said in the media after the game that you know there were, we'll certainly I think be more disappointed than them. Um, I think that you know we've got to end of the day it is a draw. We, we come and played some great rugby and and in our mind we, we we should have walked away with a win and and we didn't get it in that last ten. But um, um, you know upon reflection it's um, I mean you can tell from us we're a little bit flat still aren't we? But it's. Uh, you know, I, I loved the way we played for large parts of that game and showed that we, uh, you know, there's some of the things that we, we, we've we been making good gains and I think we're, we're moving well, we're, but shows we're not quite there yet. And uh, in some ways it's not a bad spot to be eight months out, ten months out from a pretty big tournament. <coughs> Was I surprised? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, all I know is if we flipped it over, I would have liked our guys to have a crack. So I'm not sure what their tactics were. But that that also, to be fair to them, look, they they were running running hot for seven, eight minutes, weren't they? And things were going really well, and they probably felt like getting back to a draw was um, a massive achievement in that time, and so they probably decided to take it. 
structured or by scale today, probably more, much more so than we saw in Cardiff. We were looking very much to expose maybe um, a height advantage on the wings, because that's something that you were going very much into in your mind, but to expose that with those wide bands with the kicks. Yep, it's it's something that we go and um, we, we 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 were certainly looking at it early, um, it, but it only comes it only becomes a weapon when you when you can actually get that front foot ball and you can actually start getting I guess your decision makers looking up and it, I thought some of our ball carries and that condensed England a little bit more than what they would have wanted and and you know hats off to to our drivers because they're able to see that. Yeah, it was good, you know, and I think, you know, particularly Bodie, I think on those those kick passes, he he's he's very very good at it, and he sees that space. I thought we may have got a little bit clever in that second half, a couple of our exits. So I would have, you know, perhaps we could have been a little bit um, more predictable, if that's the word. But um, hey, when the uh, the guys were seeing stuff, and and you want them to, and we encourage them to pull the trigger when they do that. Ian, would you have preferred the side to wind down the clock in that last two minutes rather than get away? No, I'd, I don't think you can wind the clock down for two minutes nowadays. I think it's too, the breakdown's too heavily officiated. The, the, they're looking hard at that, people sealing off. And inevitably, if you try to break, if you know, if we try to seal off the game for too long, I, I think you're going to concede a penalty in that space. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, so I thought we actually did all that right. I thought Artie called for that little wee kick from TJ, but then he realised that when he, by the time TJ kicked it, he was a metre in front, so we lost a chaser off that. So that was one of the exits I mentioned before, that we weren't as clinical as we needed to be. But, um, no, I'm happy with the decisions. Yeah, when you look back at the, the talk, um, if we take two, two or three things, and you well, we've, um, you know, we've climbed through a bit of adversity. This group, it's we've had to, um, you know, I thought we started the rugby championship slow, but we'd made a lot of changes, and I think we, 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 we really climbed really well through the the latter part of that tournament. We came here with a real desire to play. You know, Wales, Scotland, England, three different types of teams. We we probably haven't had a um, clean sweep up here a lot in the last seven, eight years. And and uh, and we also wanted to try to make sure we 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 tried our solutions for some of the defensive systems up here. So overall, um, um, we're, we're really pleased with a lot of the gains. I think you saw a, a very strong scrum tonight. I thought uh, you saw a line out more that that was strong. I thought we saw a kicking game and a carry game um, that had a bit of adventure to it. But and, and we didn't get dominated on the game line. What we what we did learn though is that we've got a little bit to learn about the last ten minutes and closing out a big test like that because you know it was a game that that I felt we should have had better control of in that last part. We didn't, and we got a yellow card. And so there's some. Two or three really good lessons and probably one that we'll give ourselves an uppercut for. It is nine and a half minutes away from 10 o'clock text that's coming. Just off the back of that audio, you do have to laugh and cringe.
you know, we've, we've learned some lessons. We've got to learn how to close out a game in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, well, if I remember last year, there were a lot of lessons that you'd learnt off the back of the losses to Ireland and France, but we clearly didn't learn, and we still haven't learnt. And it's a really nice way of um, trying to shut down some of the anger, trying to, uh, in a way, try and take some responsibility and say, look, look, it's not all lost. We took some lessons out of it. Uh, and this text come in. He's had that many uppercuts this year, that guy. I'm so surprised he's still standing, razor for Prime Minister. Yeah, well, he has. He goes, oh, you know, a bit of an uppercut. It's like you have. I, I'm surprised he is still standing. It's been uppercuts all year. It's just been disgraceful over the last three years, hasn't it? Remember when we lost to Argentina in Australia? We lost a test to Australia. We've lost tests to South Africa over there. We've lost tests to um, Ireland and France. Uh, lose a series this year. It just continues to go on, go on, and yet somehow the spin doctors in the background still try and convince us that everything's going to be okay. It's not. You can't put back in what God left out. You just can't. Ian Foster, by all accounts, is a good guy. But as a rugby coach, he's an assistant coach at best. Yeah, and we've got to do it all again next year. And then what happens in the Rugby World Cup? We get through to the semi-finals, we get knocked out, we get beaten, and it'll be Sailor V, and then it will be, well, you know, that's one off, that's what makes these competitions unique. But what about the four years in planning? What about the rest in rotation, though? You've made out for the last four years that there's strategy behind this, that there is a template that you can peak. And when we do lose... That rhetoric will go out the window. It'll be, oh, well, you know, it's a bit of a game of chance of World Cup. Meanwhile, Scott Robertson would have gone somewhere else. And then we'll be thinking, who's the next all-black coach? And then they'll go within. Probably Scott McLeod. Meanwhile, Leon Foster will then pick up a, won't pick up a knighthood, but he'll pick up a Queen's Honour for services to rugby. It's unbelievable how this thing plays out. We know this is going to end in disaster. We've got time to stop it. We've got time to change it, but we won't. The asteroid's about to hit Earth. We can send up a nuclear bomb. We can send up a torpedo. We can send up some sort of missile to push it off course, but we won't. We'll take the chance that it just misses us, but we know it's going to hit us. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, coming up after 11 o'clock, uh, after 10 o'clock, Andy Buckley on the programme. We will look at the FIFA Football World Cup, more on England tomorrow morning. Wales take on the United States as well. What sort of team will Gareth Southgate put out on the park? What will be the philosophy behind his selections, will he go with loyalty or will he go with form? We think there's pressure on the All Blacks coach. Imagine the pressure on Southgate in the England football team. To be fair, he has done well. Semi-finals of the last World Cup, final of the European Cup. Got a good track record. Harry Maguire, does he start at the back? Been in terrible form. 
for Manchester United. Can he turn that form around under Southgate? If Aram were to come out with a draw of victory and Maguire is the one guilty of some sort of mistake or error, he will be vilified. Got a very, very good squad, good group of players. A group of players that have been loyal to him in the past, but got to be careful you don't take a group of players too far. We did that with the All Blacks and with John Hart back in 1998, and we lost five tests in a row. That was the nucleus of that wonderful side that won that series in South Africa in 1996. Cody Taylor, text that's coming. Two crooked throws versus Argentina and Christchurch. She was terrible. Takeahi, Eklund, never do that. Foster must go, Watto, Craig and Tauranga. Brilliant text, Craig. Thanks for listening, mate. We'll continue the discussion after 10. It is one minute after 10. The FIFA Football World Cup got underway today. Ecuador getting up and beating the host nation Qatar by two goals to nil. England, my team. I do love English football. Can't stand English rugby. They take on Iran. 2am at New Zealand time in around about, what, five hours, no, four hours from now. Looking forward to that one. A UK correspondent, football expert Andy Buckley now joins us on the programme. Andy, good evening. Welcome. Mark, you okay? Yeah, yeah. No, look, I'm looking forward to um, England. I'm just a little bit concerned about the starting eleven and whether Harry Maguire gets a start because what he started in just one Premier League game in recent times. He's been in terrible form, but he seems to be Southgate's sort of uh, favourite child. What's the latest in regards to the starting eleven? Well, yeah, we're anxiously waiting to find out the uh, lineup, and the word is that Maguire and Stones will be uh, at the heart of England's defence. That's the weak link within the England team, unquestionably. Uh, and as you say, Harry Maguire, who's hardly had a sniff of uh, action for Manchester United, um, is uh, likely to play for England. And uh, people are speculating how far England can go in this tournament. Uh, impossible to say. You never know if they get some momentum then uh, we might get uh, a happy Christmas in England. But, uh, uh, yeah, Maguire is very much uh, uh, under the microscope, shall we say. Mm. How much pressure is Southgate under in this first game? If he gets this wrong, if it's a draw, if it's a loss, he starts Maguire, what is the fallout likely to be? Uh, well, you know what the English press are like, uh, no mercy really, unforgiving, uh, it goes with the, the territory of uh, expectation that uh, we've uh, had since 1966, Jeff Hurst still gets wheeled out uh, and uh, reminisces about 1966 and nobody's taken his place sadly in terms of uh, an ambassador and a World Cup winner for England. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk really as to whether Southgate's course as England manager 
will probably have, have run its uh, duration after this World Cup anyway. Uh, and what would we class as success? What would we class as failure? Um, I think people are saying, well, if England get to the quarter final, then uh, that's the best they can hope. Is that any good? Not too sure, really. I think mm. uh, I think I, I, it's got to be an England win or, or nothing. And I, I don't, I can't really see um, Southgate being there much longer. I mean, these Nations League games that England have played, and they did abysmally in the summer, uh, the English summer, um, were quite misleading, I think, because it's hard to gauge from those matches. Mm. He uses them very much as an experimental phase in the mm. lead up to the World Cup. But this is what it's all about. This is the big stage. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't see much of the game yesterday. I'll be honest with you. I got my granddaughters around and uh, preferred to play with them than watch uh, a match that didn't exactly tickle my taste buds. Uh, but I did see the BBC lead up to it. Very controversial coverage in the BBC because they didn't show the opening ceremony on BBC TV and they dwelt very much on the issues at the heart of this World Cup in the countdown to it. And the, the, the media were really laid into Qatar and FIFA big style over the last few days. Deservedly so, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not a big one for the um, politicising sport, but I think this is... Um one of those situations where, hey, absolutely, make a statement. But once the football does get underway, let's just try and keep it to the yeah. football. Uh, look, Jude Bellingham yeah. likely to make his first World Cup start in midfield? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, that's the, the word. Um, and I think he's got to take a risk. He can't be too conservative, which is the accusation against Southgate. Go for it. Um, I think England will get through this group. The question mark is who will go through with them. Possibly Iran. Uh, I'm not too confident about Wales' chances. Uh, I think USA will be quite um, abrasive, shall we say. I don't think they've got much flair. So I, I think uh, I can't see them going through. It'll probably be proven wrong now in about 10 days' time. But I think England and Iran, for me, would go through. But uh, it, it's a tough opener for England. It is a tough opener. Uh, it's just so strange to be anticipating a World Cup match on what is a murky November day in England, Monday morning here in Manchester. And, uh, you know, the people are preparing this. Uh, I don't know what the story is in New Zealand, but there's a lot of uh, people who are sort of down in tools for a couple of hours to watch the games, offices laying on uh, extended lunch hours and, and food, come in and watch the game, etc. So uh, with such big occasions, whether it's in New Zealand or whether it's in England, you know, we know how to embrace a major sporting occasion. Great anticipation and, um, you know, a, a major event is is underway. OK, let's just continue to run through this team. And I've done a little bit of reading here. Reports suggest that probably um, Bukayo Saka will get the nod ahead of Phil Foden on the right wing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's his prerogative, isn't it? Um, Foden perhaps hasn't uh, excelled at England level as he has done at club level. Um, I'd have played Foden, to be honest with you, and I'm not sure that I'd have Brian Sterling in the side either because I just don't think he's uh, as good a player as um, he's been uh, mentioned in the past. I just don't think he's, he's, he's quite got it, Sterling. Uh, he's, he's done it in fits and starts. Uh, so Sterling up front, mm, not too sure about that. And again, uh, so I think Saka deserves a chance. I think he's an exciting talent. I think yeah. he deserves a stage. Yeah. So, how does Southgate justify some of these selections? And what you know, a lot of people obviously critiquing him. Obviously, people giving, um, telling them what they think. But he is 
the manager. He is the one that's ultimately held accountable. So how does he justify some of these potential decisions which a lot of people don't agree with? Well, I mean, I suppose what he'd say is that it's a tournament. It's not just a one-off game. It is a tournament. And Foden might come on as a substitute. He might well start the next two games. So he's got to think of the long term. And Madison's injured at the moment. Um, so uh, he can't play. Um, whether it's the strop, you know, how does it compare with past England sides? We just don't know. But it, 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 it's, you know, you get on a roll. You, you could, you could um, surprise people. So uh, the, the players who play in England are playing at the highest level. They've just never, ever since 1966 converted it onto that biggest stage of all. So. Um, I, I think you know. I think Declan Rice is an ab- he's a world class talent. He is a world class talent. So with people like him in the ranks. But going back to your original question about the, the defence, you know, can you see an England side with Harry Maguire winning the World Cup? Answer: No. Mm, yeah, no. It's a strange one. It's a strange one. But I guess that's you know. I think you go and look at even All Blacks here. We sometimes make scratch your head on some decisions and loyalty. Um, sometimes perhaps overriding uh, form and what other people believe to be common sense. Uh, and yeah. like maybe each every team's got one and therefore perhaps they cancel each other out. Who knows? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, Argentina, you know, what, what impact is, is Messi and Ronaldo going to have on this World Cup? Um, you know, is it going to be uh, a glorious farewell for, for either? Uh, I think that Argentina, probably in the top two or three tips, to win the tournament, but um, I'm not convinced that they're that much better than England. Um, so it is, it is, uh, it, it's, it's not exactly wide open, but there's no obvious team that you'd say that, you know, in the past you'd have said, oh, Brazil, mm-hmm. won't you? And we all get swept along by the romanticism of Brazil and the, we, we think back to all the teams of the 70, 74, etc. Uh, and, but I'm not sure that again Brazil. I don't think in past World Cups they've they've not re, in recent last couple of decades they've not uh, recaptured the the heights that they they had uh, decades ago. So I've got my doubts about Brazil's ability really to uh, to win the tournament, which which does could pave the way for England. Could you know ever the optimist you've got to be as an England fan. <laughs> I look, uh, Wales playing in their first World Cup, first World Cup since 1958, take on the United States. You didn't give them much of a chance, but I'd imagine Wales as a nation are buzzing. Oh. Have we got you there? We lost. This morning. No, I'm still here. Yeah, go on, Andy. Sorry, yeah. you just dropped out there for uh, a minute. Uh, there was picture in the paper of Ryan Giggs watching Salford City, uh, the club that he co-owns with the class of 92 on Saturday. You know, meanwhile, uh, uh, Robert Page is there managing the Wales side and Giggs, who, who obviously stepped down because he's got issues uh, from a, uh, a legal perspective to uh, attend to. Uh, you know, he, he must be thinking what might have been. But, uh, and, and again, Gareth Bale, you know, what will he deliver really on the world stage uh, having won Champions Leagues with uh, Real Madrid, and now it, um, the spotlight falls on him in the twilight of his career. But again, a lot of journeymen in the, the Welsh team. Um, and uh, what was it, 1958, the last time Wales got to a World Cup final? So it is a fabulous story for Wales. 
but I'm not expecting great things from them. I think uh, for them, success is to get through to the knockout stages. Just had a text come in. Someone wanted to know, does, do, do English fans have a second team outside of England? Like, if it's not England winning it, who do they like to see win or who do they like to see do well? I think they like to see clubs, uh, players from their clubs playing for their countries. In other words, for me, De Bruyne in Belgium, uh, Portugal as well, Bernardo Silva, uh, João Cancelo. So I think that's the... Uh, the, the 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 answer to that one that's just a personal opinion but there is a fascinating dynamic though with the english football fan in regards, regards to the world cup i was looking on the man city forum earlier today and somebody said let's hope england get knocked out in the last 16 let's get all the city players back for the resumption of the premier league and there's a lot of sentiment that is shared across the board whether you're a fan of arsenal whether you're a fan of liverpool uh, united or city get out of the World Cup and then get back so your players get fit and refreshed uh, in readiness for the resumption of the league. And Guardiola and Klopp, Eric Ten Hag, I mean, City have got 16 players. I think Liverpool have got six players in the World Cup, haven't they? City got 16 players. So what mind processes is Pep Guardiola going through now? He's thinking, yeah, OK, but on a personal level, I want these guys to do well. I want them to succeed. It's the highlight of their career. I think that's his overriding uh, impression. But on a practical, functional uh, perspective, bearing in mind he's looking ahead to next May and the culmination of the season, he wants them to be as fit and sharp and raring to go for when City play uh, Liverpool on Thursday the 22nd of uh, December in the League Cup. that's That's the kind of date he's got a ring in his diary. Uh, but there's a, and also there's a lot of England fans who care far more about club football, certainly at the highest level, than uh, they did play, care about England. They're not really bothered about England. Yes, we'll go and, and have a couple of pints in the pub and put the flags up, and you know there's pubs around the corner from me. They've got all the England bunting up outside. Fair play, you know it's it's a great. Uh, you've got to be very careful in England because you you seem to be a bit jingoistic and a bit xenophobic if you fly the flag too much but we should be proud to be English and quite often we don't really show it as much as we should do. I know it might sound a little bit uh, outspoken and controversial but occasions like this, now it brings out the worst in a lot of English people as well who've had one too many pints, I get all that and which is why we've damaged our chances of hosting the World Cup. What happened at the last Euros was absolutely disgraceful. No, appalling. look, you, you just fill those brown envelopes full of money and you'll get a World Cup. Come on, <laughs> yeah. it's got nothing to do with behaviour. I, I mean, this is a FIFA organisation who yeah. did serious due diligence on guitar, but didn't look at the weather. Did not over, somehow manage to overlook the weather forecast in the months of June, July and August, etc. Uh, look, I can understand why football fans for the clubs put greater weight on that. I mean, England haven't won it since 66. They probably um, continue to disappoint. They don't have that legacy. Where I'd imagine, you know, Brazil does have that legacy a little bit more. Uh, Germany has that legacy a little bit more. And sometimes you've got to earn that, don't you? Uh, look, just touching on that game, Senegal. Now, the continent of Africa Again, other than Cameroon, haven't really maybe fulfilled their potential uh, potential football. Uh, you know, it's a big game now on the continent. Uh, I think FIFA, everybody's waiting for the African nations to start to dominate. It hasn't happened. They take on the Netherlands, who have been in three World Cup finals, lost all three. It's a good Netherlands team on paper. How do you see this one? Yeah, um, it will be a fascinating game. Um, and uh, two teams, I think, that will do pretty well in the competition. Yeah, Senegal... 
uh, highly rated. Netherlands, Louis van Gaal back at the helm. Um, so, yeah, I think both t- both countries, That was, I think really with that game, an England's game, and the Wales game today, then the World Cup starts in earnest, doesn't it, after that bit of a false, uh, fake start yesterday uh, in Qatar. Well, bizarrely, you know, the, the fans went, didn't they, uh, in the second half? Well, they were only paid to go for 45 minutes, weren't they? Yeah, I know. That's ridiculous. I mean, it was just not a good look at all. Not a good look for FIFA over the weekend. But can I just share this little... I know you like your sporting uh, stats and and sort of like little uh, gems, uh, Mark. But on Saturday, I was with a, a sportsman who was involved in the very first VAR review in sport he was at the heart of it uh, and I was with him I'll give you a slight clue who it is he was at, I took him to Old Trafford for the Australia Samoa Rugby League final on Saturday uh, and he was involved in it it was Martin of Fire oh chariots yeah chariots of fire wow what a lovely fella he is and hit the, the moment was I didn't know this the moment was Super League in England became a summer sport in the mid-90s. It was the second game. It was Oldham against Wigan Warriors mm-hmm. um, in 1996. Uh, and he scored a try that was awarded only after a video review. Oldham had played Paris. Paris had a rugby league team in the mid-90s. Oldham had played Paris in the first game, entertained Wigan in the second and so that was the very first VAR review in sport. Now, if you think of cricket, you think of tennis, you think of rugby league, you think of rugby union, you think of football and how technology over the last few decades has advanced. I was absolutely flabbergasted when he told me that. And I thought, yeah, it makes perfect sense. But it's something that just completely lost in the midst of time. Um, he also scored 10 tries in one game. Played alongside Dean Bell, great New Zealand. Yeah, great, 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 great Kiwi captain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely wonderful player. Yeah. He might have even played alongside Inga Tuigamala, did he? Yeah, possibly, possibly. I'm uh, not sure whether he was a bit later. But also Martin straddled the era of sports science. Yeah, Henry... So he played in the era when you, you, know, when you, had, a, you had a drink uh, before a game. And then obviously the nutritionists and the scientists came along and said, oh, no, you don't do that. You stay yeah. fit and healthy. So uh, he scored 10 tries in one game. He's yeah, no, I, I, just off recollection, I think Henry Paul was another Kiwi that might have been involved. Um, Andy, yeah, yeah, Andy, he was. Andy Farrell, who's now doing wonderful things with um, Ireland and rugby. and Yeah. Yeah, no, no, wonderful side back then. Yeah, no, but very, very um, well known that Wigan team of the 1990s as well, because I think uh, we also mm-hmm. had a number of New Zealand coaches heavily involved um, with the Super League at the time. Who were? Hey Andy, look lovely to chat. Um, so, what have you got? About four hours now till this England game. So, so what? How does the day look over there in the UK? What generally happens now? The countdowns on. When does the team get formally announced? And uh, do you watch uh, this at home? Yeah. Do you watch this in the office? Do you go to the pub? I mean, how's it done? Uh, well, it won't, I don't think there'll be that many watching it in the pub. To be honest with you, I think Monday morning is is not exactly. Uh, uh, a good time. My son runs a supermarket, actually, in a place called Accrington, uh, which has produced a few uh, famous Lancashire cricketers in the past. Uh, he, he runs a supermarket, works for Tesco, so I think uh, there's a there's a, a view in the uh, the shop that uh, we can just uh, pause proceedings and sneak into the office and watch it on the TV, uh, which is, uh, I don't know, there's something that I used to enjoy listening to uh, football matches on the radio before 
any live TV was shown and something a bit pure and uh, romantic about it. But uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be uh, taking a, a brief uh, break from my work just to to watch it for a couple of hours and just see how England get on. And uh, yeah, I, I just think the further we go, the more the excitement will build. Normally it's in the summer when England get wrapped up in, in, in occasions like this in the World Cup. Now it's the winter, which is uncharted territory for us. You know, the, the Christmas trees are going to be going up soon. And in, there's nothing like an English winter. Uh, it's not been a bad winter, to be honest with you. The weather's been, been very kind to us so far, which is uh, unusual. We obviously get the old blob of rain every day, but... Uh, you know about all that in, in New Zealand as well, won't you, Mark? But so, yeah, no. It, it, what about you then? Would you watch it, or will you? Oh, look, we have to get up pretty early. It's two o'clock in the morning New Zealand time, so you've got a pretty hardcore English fan to get up and watch it live. Some will watch it first thing in the morning without trying to find out what the score was. Um, there's the games at eight o'clock, and I think six o'clock in the morning tend to probably have a genuine audience to them. Uh, but this is England, as you said. I think people see this as the legitimate kickoff of the tournament now. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. A lot of coverage over here, a lot of media around it. Of course, we're co-hosting the Women's World Cup next year, so there is a lot of interest in it. Always has been. Always yeah. has been. I remember watching 86, and we had Paul Marimer over here doing part of the television presentation with it. And, you know, we made the 82 World Cup, and we made the 2010. And so, yeah, look, it's always had a big following. And, um, yeah, and I think um, England football is um, there's a lot bigger fan base for English football than there is, say, for English rugby or for English cricket when New Zealand's not involved. Yep. Good. Mm. Glad to hear it. Nice to know that uh, you're uh, on England's side uh, because we need it. We need all that support we can get. Uh, brilliant. Hey, Andy, lovely chatting as always. Thank you for your time tonight here on the programme, Andy Buckley. Uh, he's a Manchester City man. He's a commentator for the BBC. He's a wonderful broadcaster and just a good man, good human being. Lovely to have him on the show. 21 minutes after 10, you're listening to SENZ. If you do want to talk about the FIFA Football World Cup, expectations, thoughts, who your favourite team is, uh, feel free to text us or jump on the phone, have a chat. And if you do want to um, just give us your thoughts too on how you rate that All Black season for 2022, we'd love to hear from you as well. 26 minutes after 10, you're listening to SENZ. Uh, just talking to Andy Buckley there, he's talking about over the weekend um, catching up and managing to do some stuff with the great Martin O'Fire, Chariots of Fire, even though we're talking football, we somehow segued into rugby league. And so I was just doing a little bit of a search through that 1996 Wigan team. It was a hell of a side, actually. Remember guys like Chris Ladinsky, um, Jason Robinson, who ended up going and playing on for England uh, in rugby. And then we had Vianga Tuigamala, all black turn league player. Gary Connolly, Martin O'Fai, Henry Paul in New Zealand. I thought he was on that side. I always remember Henry Paul. Sean Edwards, uh, Calvin Skerritt, Martin Hall, Terry O'Connor, Simon Horton, Mick Cassidy. Not so familiar with those guys. Uh, Andy Farrell, Rob Smythe, Danny Allison, Scott Quinnell. Andy Johnson, Craig Murdoch, Martin Dermott, Daryl Cardis, Nigel Wright, Andy Craig, Steve Barrow, Paul Johnson, Matt Knowles, Matt Abbott Grammar, Old Boy Shem Tatupu, Neil Cowie, Sean Long, Neil Barnes, and that was the squad of 30. So not a bad team indeed. Now, uh, talking the FIFA Football World Cup, England take on Iran, 2 o'clock I think it is, New Zealand time, and around about, what, three and a half hours from now, Let's hear from England coach Gareth Southgate. Yeah, look, I think uh, after any result or any uh, stretch of form, uh, we always look together as a, a group of players, of course. We're the ones out on the pitch and um, 
we know first and foremost that uh, we could have done better over obviously the summer and uh, the last kind of uh, six games or so. Um, but also, I think it's made us stronger. I think it's um, yeah made us even more hungry going into into this tournament. Um, yeah, look, Gareth has been uh, incredible for us as a, a group of a group of players. You know, um, the record in the 2018 World Cup and the the European Championships a couple of years ago speak for themselves. And, and as a group of players and staff, we always feel like um, being judged on major tournament football. And um, it's been a good period for us over the last uh, four years, for sure. Um, and it's another opportunity to, to take another step step forward. And um, I'm looking forward to, to starting tomorrow. Yeah, so I think we've made it clear as uh, a team and uh, the staff and an organisation that we want to wear the armband. Uh, I know the FA are talking to, to FIFA at the moment, and um, I'm sure by by game time tomorrow they'll have their decision. Um, but yeah, I think we've made it clear that we, we want to wear it. Thank you. What is your opinion, Mr. Mr. Southgate, to this? Uh, he could be fined by a yellow card wearing this uh, yellow love armband. It's a risk for the team. Yeah, there's nothing I can add to what Harry said. I know there are <clears throat> some conversations going on. Um, I think a number of the European countries have spoken. And uh, we've made our position clear. Um, so hopefully everything will be resolved before, before the game. I understand, um, I understand the frustration from your team regarding the questions. It's, it's a very difficult situation. And um, believe me, I've been asked lots and lots of political questions by our media about lots of subjects for six years. So. Um, we're, we're both in the same situation on that um, and I understand in the position I'm in that there is a responsibility for me to answer some of those questions. We're very respectful of, um, of our opponents tomorrow. We know the quality of the players, um, several of them playing at big European clubs, obviously a couple have been playing in England um, and we know <coughs> under Carlos in the last World Cup, very well organised team, very difficult to play against, um, against big opponents. So we're ready for the game, we're ready for a strong challenge, a difficult game. Um, we have to be the very best version of ourselves to, to win the game. Yeah, and just on, on my part, of course Iran are going to be a difficult team. Um, I think defensive, uh, defensively very strong and compact. So uh, from a from my point of view, a striker's point of view, it's going to be difficult, and uh, I don't think there's going to be loads and loads of chances in the game. So um, yeah, but as always, I'll be ready for uh, the ones that do come, and hopefully, I'll be able to take them and and um, yeah, get off to a good start in in this tournament. Thank you, gentlemen here, and then after this question, photographers, I'll ask you please to um, stop photographing. Thank you. Evening, uh, Sam Peach from PA. Question, questions for Gareth. I'll keep them a bit shorter. Um, what is the team news for them? Actually, will anybody be available? How's the squad looking? And your confidence heading into the tournament? And, and finally, has there been any discussions about the players taking the knee? Yes. So, um, in terms of player availability, I mean, everybody is available uh, by James Madison for tomorrow. Um, 
I'd say it's a little bit early for Kyle Walker, um, but he is training with the team, so that's um, ahead of where we thought he might be at this stage. We're very positive. Um, we're looking forward to this, this challenge, and uh, I've really liked the way the players have approached training this week. Um, it's, it's been a good transition for us because... <clears throat> training a couple of days earlier with the heat which we wanted to adapt to now we've had a couple of lighter sessions later at night it's quite cool now um, so we feel that that's been a good physical tapering for the game um, we have discussed taking the knee we feel we should um, we it's what we stand for as a team and have done for a long period of time of course we understand in the Premier League that the clubs have decided to only do that for certain games, big occasions. We feel this is the biggest and um, we think it's a strong statement that will go around the world for young people in particular to see that inclusivity is, is very important. Um, I appreciate you're both here to talk about football, but I'm sure you've both seen the awful images of what's happening in Iran. What would you say to activists that the BBC has spoken to in the last couple of days who say they're desperate for England to make a gesture of support to show that the world is hearing them. Thank you. Look, I'm, I don't feel um, informed enough to comment on what's going on in Iran, and I don't think it's really my place to comment on it either. Um, I think the Iranian players and manager, I understand for them, you know, they, they are in a, a, a difficult position, but I think they're better informed to speak about those things. Um, if we were asked by, by their team to support them in some way, we would obviously have to listen to that and, and consider that. But um, at the moment, that hasn't happened. So I think we're all hoping to focus on the football now. And um, we're, you know, we know this has been a complicated build-up in terms of any number of issues that have been discussed, commented on for 12 months and beyond that for us. Um, but now I think our country expects us to concentrate on preparing the team as well as they can, the team being excited about what for them is the um, biggest moment of their careers to play in a World Cup. And um, I don't think anybody would reasonably expect on the eve of the game that to be any different for us. I know um, an incredible feeling, um, one that as a kid you dream of seeing Wales in a World Cup, but to actually be in the team that achieves it is um, an incredible feeling and uh, yeah, an honour to, to be able to do it for our country. So yeah, it's um, going to be a fun time hopefully for us and uh, one that we just want to enjoy and, and have fun like we always do on the pitch as, as a national team. Next question. Hi, Gareth. Um, you've led this group through 2016 and the Euros in 2021. How does the feeling compare now on the eve of a World Cup? And how are the squads shaping up, would you say? Do you get a sense of the same as uh, six years ago? Yeah, we're, we're just our normal group, <laughs> having our normal jokes, having a good time, uh, working hard when we need to, but... Um, yeah, atmosphere is great in, in the in the hotel, in the dressing room, at training. Um, yeah, we're just in a in a good spot, and um, 
really looking forward to the game and I think when we're in that type of mood we uh, we normally give our best stuff. Okay. Gareth, how are you doing? Okay. Um, you gave a, a little bit of an insight on Monday as to how you've gradually got yourself to the fitness level you wanted to be. Now we're on the eve of the game. Just exactly where are you where you wanted to be when you first went out to the States? We know you do your individual programme, but just how ready are you on where you wanted to be in terms of fitness? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right where I want to be. I'm here the night before the first game and um, ready to go. Um, yeah, we're, we've all been training hard the last, the last week, um, adapting to the heat, the time zones, and... Um, yeah, we, we have no excuses now. We've, we've put all the hard work in and, uh, yeah, game time tomorrow. And that's where we, we hopefully we can uh, step up and, and deliver what's needed to be delivered. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.